times I'll pray but I But anyways, welcome back. Uh, <laughs> I was mentioning to Quentin before we started recording um, that this week we are the Woke Bays. Um, you know, talked about Bay being woke last week back when that was kind of what the meaning of the, the thing was. And it's become, it's kind of come back. It's like now that's a separate meme, I guess, from the original meme or what the word even means. But the number one Woke Bay, I guess, right now is uh, maybe AOC followed by Cody Rhodes, <laughs> uh, who she's retweeting. Um, and I didn't even see the tweet. I assumed that the, the whole thing was about, from what I heard, like the idea that the company is like at least partially being run by POCs. And then now then I kind of heard more of what the story was and that's not exactly what it was, but I thought about it and I think it's kind of underrepresented. And I know that like there is such a thing as white Latinos, but like, isn't Cody's mom like Puerto Rican? Um, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Cody is technically at least, you know partially of color at yeah least if you want if you wanted to do that not yeah. he's not <laughs> but you know and like i said there is such a thing as like white latinos versus like afro latinos or yeah, whatever yeah, like yeah. there is a di- there is definitely a dynamic and and he is you know very passing like he passes the paper bag test for sure um but i mean brandy obviously i don't know what her heritage is but uh she's definitely you know not a hundred percent white so there is like some you know person of color in the representation and the ownership of the company, the cons are what like Middle Eastern, are they? Are there some yeah. they're Semitic in some way? Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, there is that. I, I didn't really see that. Did you see what the what the tweet was in the whole conversation? Because I didn't completely even follow up on it. Yeah, it was just something praising uh, Brandy and Cody Rhodes. I think after the show and somehow got AOC's attention. I'm not sure why it grabbed her attention. Or why she wound up tweeting about it. It was all a very strange thing. But nonetheless, I think it's official that Cody Cody Rhodes is now the wokest bay yes, in wrestling. He really is. Um, and, you know, so just the next step will be, again, you know, treating a... Well, I heard, a, I don't know, again, I'm gonna, this is going to be a well that we go to a lot talking about podcasts that I listen to. But I was listening to the Black Wrestling podcast and they mentioned... Um, in the battle royal here on AEW that we're going to review kind of later, um, that uh, Sunny Kiss comes out with the, in the Spades suit, and they were just they had a field day with that. So maybe AEW needs to be a little bit more thoughtful about where they place uh, their their wrestlers of color. Um, but uh, but yeah, I guess uh, that's an interesting interesting kind of dynamic. But the real I guess talk, and maybe he's not much of a woke bay this week, has been John Moxley, right? I mean, I think we both listened to the podcast. Um, on talk is Jericho it's been talked all over the place right I mean it's crazy how much review content there was for this podcast even just on like the pro wrestling torch um I guess I don't know Quentin what's what, what kind of what's the big takeaways for you about what he said there um as far as the reaction I think my main takeaway is that John Moxley was at least perceived by a large portion of the audience a way bigger star than I think we realized. I think that's my biggest takeaway right now because even when Cody Rose left and did his indie tour in 2016, I was at his first show ever after WWE. And while Cody Rose was super over, I don't think if Cody Rhodes went on a podcast that it would have had exactly the same effect. Right. Because Cody Rose has always been vocal 
we had like John Moxley for the last, I would say, seven years, really hasn't tweeted that much. So this is a guy that that has been shrouded in mystery for nearly a decade, left WWE, and now we're getting to hear some stuff. And I think that was a lot of the appeal. But to me, with this podcast, his appearance at AEW's Double or Nothing, and then the confirmation that he is the uh, Time Rider or Death Rider or whatever the fuck new uh, Time's up. knife pervert. Yeah, whatever, whatever new knife pervert there is in New Japan, that he's that guy. I think it's safe to say that Moxley is a way bigger star than I think we might have real than we might have realized. Hey, I mean, you know, if other people who listen to this happen to now be listen or used to listen to this week in wrestling, I mean, that's kind of what I said. I mean, I, I, he, I mentioned he's one of the top merch sellers perpetually. He speaks to a certain segment of the fan base that no other wrestlers do, and like, for lack of a better way to describe it, it's like, you know hot topic goth teens and like i can't think of anybody else in wrestling who really gets and not just like kind of the dark look like a jimmy havoc but like really gets that like kind of standum from the theme like the, the the girls are the you know i guess just attracted to you know brooding men crowd whoever whatever gender you might be um the way that he does he's got the bad boyness to him but i think he also speaks to the the, the scuzzy deathmatch crowd with his history in deathmatches and stuff like that yeah but then he, but then he's also very intelligent and very clearly someone that loves like nerdy shit like matt wrestling a big william regal fan and all and all that stuff so he he's a guy that hits every mark the problem was as we'll get into when we uh talk about our takeaways from the podcast is what wwe saw him as and i always like i always like moxley uh i'm not gonna sit here and act like he's always been the greatest wrestler in the ring he has a lot of matches that i like he's been very hit or miss sometimes he's painfully dry sometimes he's been in flat out bad matches but i think what i could always say was there is that if wwe wanted a guy that was full of personality and full of life and you didn't need to, I guess, force the audience into believing in him. That was always John. And I'm really intrigued now to see how that goes without, um, without people there that are telling him exactly how they want him to be and how they want him to act. And I think this podcast uh, with Jericho, if, uh, so let's segue into that. Yeah, yeah. My biggest, my biggest takeaway is that everything that we've complained about with Moxley for the last, uh, God, when did the shield break up? Five years ago? Yeah, at least. For everything that we've complained about Moxley for the last five years, from him, him pretty much being a prop comic and, uh, not being taken seriously and, uh, WWE just forcing the gimmick, the lunatic fringe and all and all that nonsense is that he didn't like that stuff as much uh, just as much as we did he hated it just as much as we did and when he comes out and says that that really intrigues me as to see like what the next move is going to be because if a guy has been doing stuff that he absolutely hates for the last five years i can't imagine what he's going to do with something that, that he can actually sink his teeth into because regardless of all the content that moxley has been a part of in the last five years 
still being a push guy with all this bullshit aside on and off, he still busted his ass in everything that asked him to do. I can't imagine how hard he's going to work to make something that he really believes in really take off. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly going to put a lot of effort into it. You talked about all the, all the, you know, spots and parameters that he hit, which is, I mean, not too off from what I said about Cody when he first came to the Indies also, which is that he hits, he ticks the right boxes because he's, the people who just like WWE are excited to finally see him just in general at live shows that are smaller up close. The people who don't like WWE are going to like him because he talks shit about WWE. And then he's able to attract the old school fans by playing off the history with the Dusty, you know, with the Rhodes family. But Mox has got a similar thing. He hits a lot of quadrants. He, he's got the brooding kind of dark characteristic that I think some people find like sexy and dangerous. He's got like kind of a, the lunatic fringe to, for lack of a better term, um, kind of vibe to him that, like you know people just are into think he's cool um he's also yeah death ma- like i said death match he's also like talk about being savvy i mean he didn't talk at all for the time he was in wwe he created this big time or you know didn't talk online created this big time aura for himself was really smart because he's in a company where like any stupid misstep on social media could be a big fucking deal people are going to get all over you so he just you know turns it off and then actually makes himself a bigger star but even before that and not only that and not only that i think why it also worked for him even in wwe is that look at the company-wide movement now with social media you want they want people promoting their angles online on instagram and twitter and all that stuff and he's the only guy that's not doing it right so i think in a way he like protected his gimmick and protected his words preparing for preparing for an event where he might be out of wwe because when he leaves his words mean something more than anybody else's that would be in that company other than like john cena right because he was only he was the only guy not saying anything Right. No, it's 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 perfect and it works out really well. And then uh, what I was going to mention is before that, he was also like he's one of the original kind of online meme people that people forget. But like early on when the Internet was still pretty young, companies like PWG would post stuff online and, and like videos and, you know, quirky little like clips and stuff. But John Moxley doing the Dusty Rhodes impression, singing the CZW song was one of the early kind of wrestlers online memes you know so he's got that crowd too so like he has the early online crowd then he disappears from online now he's back and like you know the people are ready to take him back so he's i mean honestly he's in a great position he's clearly really fucking passionate about wrestling i really liked the line about you know reseeding the industry if he said if he'd had to if there wasn't an AEW, he still would have left and you know rebuilt the wrestling in his image he would have made it he would he would have made he would have made his own promotion made his own school yeah and trained and trained people to wrestle him he was just not going to be in wwe and i thought that was very very telling yeah that was an amazing amazing kind of takeaway from it too was hearing him say that like you know there's a lot of big points on there but that was to me that was huge um and yeah, speaking of, I've heard I heard some people comparison to CM Punk, and I honestly think that the the comparison is very apt. But the comparison also like, <sighs> CM Punk was always a fucking loudmouth. That's kind of the the problem with CM Punk is CM Punk has always done shoot interviews. He's always spoke his mind. He had Live Journal, and it was, you know, it's not like Dean Ambrose was quiet early in his career, but he did have a 
brief a period of time where you didn't hear anything from Dean Ambrose, right? Like you you're saying online mm. or complaining. So now that he's coming back and saying something, it, it, like you said, it means a lot. It's I hate to say this in terms of CM Punk because I love CM Punk, but it just feel like there was a point where it's like, oh, this guy has like sold wolf tickets for so fucking long that him just complaining again exactly. doesn't really mean as much. You just you've heard exactly. him complain think, constantly, you know. And I think and I think that's why people still hold some sort of weird resentment towards punk even if he makes very valid points on that infamous Colt cabana podcast or those or the infamous couple of podcasts rather is that even if cm punk is dead on in everything that he's ever said on those Colt cabana shows because he has a history of complaining and whatever people might call bitching and all of the time I don't, i've never really thought of it i've never really thought of it that way but that's just sort of like the widespread idea of what punk did for a lot of his career that yeah like he could be sitting there telling the truth but because of his history you're not going to take you're not going to take it the same way that you would for moxley who from all accounts has been like a good company soldier uh he hasn't been on twitter enough to get a glimpse of him complaining or being frustrated like we might be getting from a, a sasha banks or the revival or mike bennett or naomi or the countless people that have had rumors of being unhappy in wwe in the last few months moxley has dealt with a lot of shit the last six years behind the scenes and him coming out and letting it all out i think made for maybe the most interesting podcast that we have gotten since punk the one the comparison that i saw most people throwing out um was punk but it was also but it was more because of like uh the quote-unquote scorched earth nature of what moxley was talking about and i didn't really think of it that way I didn't think Moxley was saying anything particularly incendiary. Uh, all of it just sounded like frustrations. He didn't uh, talk about how much he hated Triple H or anything like that. It actually had like pretty glowing words about Triple H. All of his problems stem from Vince McMahon. Like literally from the beginning of the episode until the end. He makes it clear that I had a great time in WWE. I'm at a, I'm, I'm at, I learned a lot of things. I met a lot of really nice people that are still that are still going to be friends with them and all that stuff. But from beginning to end, the main problem was Vince McMahon and the micromanaging. And I think that should be something that we get a little bit into because that's been the idea of WWE since WCW folded, um, really, that now with no no competition and everything that Vince has gotten more hands-on as the years have went on if you remember the early stages of the Vince ran WWF it was like a three-man team of Vince Briscoe and eventually like the team would the team would grow with guys like Michael P.S. Hayes Jim Ross and it would get bigger as the years went on but now we have producers agents writers and the people that actually make daily uh decisions in the company all having a hand in the product and for a guy like moxley that i would imagine fancies himself as a creator a guy that puts his art first i can't imagine how frustrating that would be yeah i mean it, the way that he put it was really true it's like what are you am i just what like what am, why am i here you've got everyone doing every part of this and it, it's just my job to basically just like be the perform like just perform kind of what's on the page like you know i'm just like a product that you're pushing i'm not like it, he, he said you know, get a get an actor yeah he said like he said he said it the best if all you want me to do is have no input on what's going on then why don't you just hire an actor 
Pit, like, what are we doing here? Right. Which is, I mean, that's the whole point when Vince would say we make movies. And it's, like, no more true than that. Like, the fact that he's trying to get it to the point where the roles would be better suited played by actors than by wrestlers, you know? Mm. Another thing that I have always thought, and a lot of people, if you watch the WWE product, have always thought, is that they very much either dropped the ball or just knew the ball was there and didn't give a fuck when it came to John Moxley in that late 2014. And I'm not sure if you were watching at that point, Tim, but that's around the time uh, the shield breaks up and the main feud is Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins. Oh yeah. I was actually still pretty much following. I think it was to my stages of like watch the pay-per-views level of following WWE. So, um, after SummerSlam, where they had, uh, some sort of lumberjack match, I think. That, they had either a lumberjack match or a false count anywhere match that was they decent. A false, they had a false count, they had a false count anywhere match on Raw. Like, one, actually one of my favorite TV matches okay. of the last few years. That was the one that was pretty that. good, yeah. Uh-huh. And, initially, Roman Reigns was supposed to come back in, and that was supposed to turn into Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins in fall 2014 but roman reigns had the hernia problem so you see seth rollins versus dean ambrose getting extended as a program the issue with that becomes dean ambrose gets really over like really really over the most over person on the show you know it's funny to look back on but if you uh looked at the end of 2014 the most over guys on the roster at different points were Dean Ambrose and Dolph Ziggler. And I think that's a a real testament to what that com- to what that company was at that point and how they just said fuck all of that by the by the end of uh right. April twenty fifteen. Didn't they turn but, around though and then those two had a really dog shit title match? Was that the same time? Or was that a little that bit was, later? Um, that was later. That was twenty sixteen okay. after the uh after the after the brand split. Yeah, yeah. But I bring this up because we talk about Mox being a creative guy, a guy that puts the art first and everything, a guy that clearly could have gotten like a huge fucking money contract from WWE, but didn't want it. And imagine being a guy that you like that he knew that he was never meant to be as over as he was. He wasn't meant to be as pushed as he was. He says himself that they could not give a single fuck about me as a baby face, but it works. He gets over as hell organically, and he's the biggest face on the show. I can't imagine how frustrating it must have been to be a guy that was right on the cusp of stardom if they just put a little effort into it. If they just cared at all, and trust me, we are not the, oh, Roman Reigns got the pushes of these guys kill kind of guys. I love Roman Reigns, one of the best wrestlers of the, uh, best wrestlers of the decade, but the reality is that they were so set on the Roman Reigns plan that they were complete will, completely willing to just give up the fact that Moxley was molten hot right in front of them. So I can't imagine being a guy that on top of you're really motivated, you're hungry, you're passionate, you're creative about what you do, you love pro wrestling and you like to be involved. On top of all those things getting taken away from you, you're also molten hot at one point. And then you just get pretty much told to fuck off and you get to heat up Bray Wyatt for his 
uh, Undertaker match at uh, WrestleMania 31. And it's been, and it was like that so many times. Uh, 2016, the Royal Rumble where Triple H wins it. He's in the final two. And the crowd, molten hot for Dean Ambrose at that point. The following month at Roadblock, in the Dean Ambrose Triple H title match, crowd is molten hot and goes crazy for the uh, false finish in that match. But again, you don't change course and you don't understand that you have a guy that's mega hot right in front of you. So I just can't imagine being a guy that was, he wasn't, he wasn't buried or anything. We know that he was a mid card, sometimes upper card, sometimes main event level guy, but never treated like he could have been the guy, even though countless signs showed that Moxley always was over enough, sold enough merch, was popular enough, getting enough reactions to make that stuff warranted. And how frustrating must it have been to deal with that shit for years on end? Yeah, and I mean, again, it, it goes back to what you were talking about, that, like, we don't, we didn't realize, you know, if it's in general, like, people didn't realize, like, I, I think it's fucking insane that there is a lot of people who didn't realize how big of a star he was, because I think, repeatedly, he, the crowd showed that they wanted to get behind him big. The crowd showed that they would always take him seriously. And then, to you know, another, to piggyback off of that into a point from the podcast, you talk about he didn't get buried, but, like, he even said he like his opinion because the popular knowledge, the popular opinion is that they didn't bury him. It's weird. And when Jericho brought that up, he said, I don't know. And then he gave his kind of retelling of events. And it was kind of like, oh, shit, like he thinks that they were trying to and it just didn't take. And it kind of made sense with the way that he said it, that the crowd was almost rejecting them attempting to bury him on the way out. So they just gave up, which was probably the right move. But like even towards the end, I think that you had to have seen and that's why i said from when he was leaving from when it was happening i would said this is the most games game changing possible star that they can get if aew can get him wherever he goes it's a big fucking deal the only you know rumor the only thing that i was kind of buying into was the idea that he was just going to not go back into wrestling at all because it had been so long since i had heard him talk about it i forgot how passionate he was about wrestling at some point you know what i yeah, mean I, I i didn't i didn't believe that for a second i think that if he was just gone from wrestling that it would have been that we would have been hearing different things in the reports because right. we were already getting the reports of John Moxley's not going to resign his contract at the end of April or whatever. We would have been hearing that okay, John Moxley just burnt out and he lost his passion for wrestling or something along those lines. It was I'm creatively frustrated. Right. Creatively frustrated means you want to go do something else in wrestling. It doesn't mean that you're done with wrestling. Am I surprised that he maybe came back as quickly as he did? Maybe. It meant, Maybe a little bit. It was really smart but of him. I, he set that up, and he knew yeah. how to get out of his contract so that he wouldn't have the long non-compete clause that it would be he'd be able to get into. You know what I mean? He did it really, mm. really smartly. So, got to give him big ups to that. Yeah, he planned. He planned it for a year. Like that's another thing that blew me away is that he straight up said that by July 2018 he knew that he did want to be back. Right. And a lot of and a lot of people would have just like stormed in and been like okay like demand like demand demand their release and he didn't do that he gets to keep all his royalties from anything they do with the shield he didn't have to deal with the three-month non-compete he did it in a very smart way and now i'm wondering are they gonna let future people do that because we already seen we are we already seen them keep people in their contracts at, uh, for after wanting to leave you know, the, the most notable examples being uh, 
pack and Rey Mysterio the last couple of years. Right. So we know we know that they're willing to do that, but we just had a guy pretty much admit that he played them for a year and stuck it out. So they have to pay him, and they can't tell him that he can't compete. Do you think that now changes how they structure these deals and change plans when people want out of the company? I, because now we have a Sasha. Because now we have a Sasha Banks that still hasn't returned to the company. So, what do you think the? Do you think there will be any changes at all? No, maybe there might be an attempt, but I would. If I was them, I'd be concerned, and I think they have a smart enough legal team to know. I mean, as they say, kind of the the test kitchen, the test laboratory of democracy in America is kind of like New York and and California, and California's independent contractor laws changed a lot over the past couple of years. I know personally because my wife worked in a salon at the time, and the way salons are set up is really shitty and similar to the WWE and that you're an independent contractor, but in a lot of ways you're kind of fucked. And a lot of owners of salons try to manipulate things in ways that they shouldn't be allowed to because of the independent contractor status. So California has changed a lot of the laws to be a lot more strict about what you can do, what you can't do, the way things can work. And again, this is kind of the test, the laboratory of democracy for the, for the, the country if we're passing laws here in California like this, the the rest of the world is going to start to follow a suit. And that's not the time for WWE to be pushing the boundaries of how they treat their independent contractors. Now, if by that, what they do is that uh, things are going to change in WWE, that they're going to start having more of an employee status and treating the wrestlers like employees, that's a whole different can of worms, obviously. But I think if they don't want to go that route and they want to keep the independent contractor status, they would do best to not really fuck with anything too much because as more and more places are realizing that people are taking advantage of it, if they try to push the envelope, I don't think it could necessarily go well for them. So what Moxley did is is in a position where, like, yes, he played them for a year, but unless you start getting into, like, minority report thing, like, you can't really try people for thought crimes and all he did was come up with a plan to do this and what he did nothing about it was wrong he just kept his mouth shut exactly he he's not, not, not i mean legally you like you can you can say anything you want but he stuck out the contract that's what he's bound to by the signature he signed and all that stuff is that he signed the contract and that contract expired at whatever time there's no conspiracy that wasn't a he didn't come up with some conspiracy to get himself fired or anything i'm just wondering if they have someone that they know isn't happy, are they still going to let them run their contracts out? Because knowing how historically petty this company is, how do you think the company is going to feel getting these uh, transcripts for this interview back and they hear him saying like, oh yeah, like I did that so I can keep my royalties. Do you think they're going to keep, they're going to want to keep paying people that are going to run these contracts out and still have to, and still have, um, still have to pay them? I don't know. I think like WWE's being so historically petty makes me think that they try to find some way around doing something like that. Yeah, I mean the royalties thing is interesting because it's from my understanding and this is the very basic kind of following stuff understanding of of legal issues. The wording in the contracts from WWE's contracts and this kind of got contested with um with uh with Ventura when he tried to sue them over um his likeness basically appearing in movies and DVDs uh, because of his commentary and they weren't paying him because they only at the time were only paying royalties to performers 
and he was saying, you know, well, like I'm performing on the DVD just because I'm not in the, you know, wrestling doesn't mean I'm not a performer on the show, whatever. Um, that realistically WWE's contracts at this point don't even require them to pay royalties to wrestlers for merchandise and stuff. And that they kind of do it realistically after someone, when they're not under contract anymore, basically they wouldn't really have to continue paying you, but they pretty much do because they don't want to face more legal issues. So they kind of just pay people their royalties so that they wouldn't sue them. And it is kind of like, if there's any situation of anything you did that kind of breaches the contract, they take away that nicety. That's why like punk wasn't getting his royalties because he was not, he was in breach of contract basically. Um, so I don't know what they would really do there. I guess if you don't beach the contract, it seems like it's their policy to just continue paying you because they don't want to deal with the headache of going to court over Mm. it, you know? And I can totally understand that. But if they did go to court, from what it sounds like to me, I think that they probably would be able to, they would probably win. And like, you would just say like, they would just say like, they don't owe you any money really. Um, But at the same time, who knows, you know, because a lot of law is up to the interpretation of the judge. So it really would depend where the case was, a lot of different things. So I doubt that it fucks with that part of it at all in any way. I do. I just, yeah. I mean, Ambrose was really smart about this and everything that he did and the way he planned it, I mean, was really calculated to where like, I can't see how they come up with any strategy to stop something like this from happening ever again. Because again, like I said, there's a lot of like political situations that, it would just be more difficult for them to deal with down the line if they did. Hmm. I guess to me, now where do we go from here? Because in the last few years, we've seen a few people leave WWE and carve out some really strong careers for themselves. First one that first one that I think of is Juice Robinson, and although. Juice was a work in progress, and getting where he is took some time. Juice is now a champion, a champion of New Japan, a guy that's been in never title matches, intercontinental title matches, has main evented shows, and he's one of the top baby faces in the company. We have Pac who left, and he's become one of the most sought after guys in wrestling right now, uh, helping boost the profile of Dragon Gate after. Shima, Seahawk, Linda, and uh, those guys left in the OWE thing going on. And now we have Moxley, who comes in very soon after his contract ends, makes makes an appearance at Double or Nothing, does the Jericho podcast, and uh, now is coming in the New Japan. So, oh, I didn't even mention Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes, um... Coming in and twenty coming out in twenty sixteen and doing his indie run before coming in and joining Bullet Club, eventually being one of the cornerstones of the Elite and now AEW. So with four pretty good success stories coming out of the last four years of people who have left WWE. Now, if you're someone that's on that WWE roster and you see how big of a splash that Moxley made. Are you second guessing re-signing that contract when they make their rounds and try to get you to sign it on the spot? Because that's what they were doing before. Look, a few months ago, they're 
cornering they're cornering you mm-hmm. or trying to corner you and getting you the sign getting you the sign to con- sign the contract and I think we know the Usos resigned. Um, I don't think, I, as far as I know, I'm not sure if the revival resigned or not. Sasha Banks is still gone. Luke Harper, Luke Harper asked for his release. Mike Bennett is getting matches on 205 Live now after asking for his release. You know, funny how that works. Right. But what's the move now after seeing the success of these four guys after the last few years? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, what was the what was the the rumor? It was like if you show up with a contract from somewhere else, whatever it is, they'll double it, but you have to sign it on the spot. That was like mm, one of the rumors. Something, so, yeah, something like that. Or yeah. if you don't, if or if you don't sign it, they're gonna keep adding on more money and things like that. And there are some people that in the company that I I'd imagine aren't driven by money. I don't think Luke Harper is a guy driven by money at this stage, and he just wants out so he can perform at what he thinks is the highest level possible for him in the years he has left in this industry. I don't know what Sammy I don't know what Sammy Zayn wants. Sammy Zayn has been a guy that's been rumored before and what separates Sammy from someone like Kevin Owens is that Kevin Owens has a family to look out for and put first. And Yeah, but Kevin Owens had he, a family when he was on the Indies and he seems like a guy who knows that he can take care of his family. Mm. He'll, he seems like a guy who knows that he can always figure out a way to take care of his family. You know what I mean? Right. But I get, right. I get what you mean, though. You know all I'm saying is that, like, Sammy doesn't have necessarily, like, something that he has to worry about. Right. As far as, like, having people to support. And does, it, does this make Sammy think differently? Does this make, uh, you know, some, like, Leo Rush think differently? Oh, are you going to go to Leo Rush at the... Uh... Joe's Crab Shack or whatever Jimmy's Seafood event that's coming up isn't. I think that, Jimmy's Seafood isn't that nearby you? Jimmy, is that nearby you or not? Pretty sure there's one by me, but I think Jimmy's Seafood got caught got caught up in some racist thing. Oh, so, <laughs> so probably not. Well, it would make sense for Leo Rush to be going there then, right? They're gonna make <laughs> him carry the bags of shrimp to the tables. I think. Um, hmm. Well, so Leo, Sasha, the revival. Zane Harper have all have all been the ones at the forefront of this people being unhappy thing. So now I'm just wondering, like, if you're these people and you see like the reaction that Moxley got coming out, if you see how big of a success Double or Nothing was, I think that might have been the fear for some people that you don't. If you go out, then you don't know what's out there for you. I especially understood that fear from Sasha Banks because, like, let's face it, like women, like a lot of women's promotions aren't going to be able to offer offer her the same platform that WWE would have been able to offer her to showcase herself. She could have gone to, like, an Impact. Impact would have had a all-right women's division for her to uh, come into, but people don't really care about Impact anymore. There's Ring of Honor, but Ring of Honor's division Oof. is a joke. And, and then I guess she would have been trying to do some stuff on indies and make some stuff work in Japan, but again, that's sort of a, that's sort of a crapshoot, too. So... Now with AEW emerging and with Double or Nothing being such a success and proving that it was a hit, do you think this gives Sasha Banks a little bit more motivation to be like, you know what, like, I can work outside of WWE because this is a actual company that has some legs under it? I mean, I've said from from the beginning before even Moxley was really in play that Sasha would be the biggest game changer for them. For AEW, mm. she could be a crown jewel star for them, honestly, because... 
she's another one that people fucking go ape for and i think people people forget how big of a star she really is and like i'm telling i'm telling you is that I, I love the fact that I, that we have a weekly show now. Yeah, right. So I can talk about the shit that we talk about in Slack, like you know Sasha Banks erasure, like the fact that Sasha Banks just. I'm telling you, she, she isn't black, she... dude. Like, I'm sorry, okay, that's the Sasha Banks eraser. <laughs> <laughs> She's just not. She said it herself. She doesn't consider herself black. Quentin, stop trying to claim her. No, um, yeah, okay. but no, I know. Just a few years ago, people were saying wrestler of the year. Yeah, 2015 Wrestler of the Year. She changed NXT. She put NXT on her back and everything. And not only that, like, like we get it now. In retrospect, we get it. That she was the girl that was going to trade the belt with Charlotte Flair so Charlotte can be a part of all these first and, and start racking up all her women's title wins. We get it. We know that's what it was. But I think there's a lot of people that still pretend to themselves that Sasha Banks was getting booked well. Is that, yeah, like, Compared to a lot of people on the roster, if, they, if you want to play that game, like, yeah, Sasha Banks was getting booked well. Huh. She, would, she would get wins over, like, Nia Jax and all that other stuff. But when it, came, but when it mattered, she lost. And she didn't really get to showcase how big of a star she is because she was constantly being put below people like Nia Jax and Alexa Bliss and Charlotte and, and eventually um, Becky Lynch coming in and getting hot and ronda rousey and i think we all forget that sasha banks when she was coming up on the roster was getting huge reactions granted i know i know sasha can't talk worth a damn i get it but for some reason it worked for her she didn't have to come in here and talk that much she actually worked better as a baby face and i think a lot of people would have expected and like everything was going well or could have gone a lot better but it's that erasure once they got to the point where they felt comfortable pushing alexa bliss they were always going to push charlotte once ronda rousey came in they started pushing Nia Jax more i think we all sort of forgot that sasha was there for everything and that sasha was the biggest star coming up out of that class and same thing for bailey too bailey bailey erasure is a real thing too i think we also forget how important bailey was and my whole problem is I just don't like pretending to ourselves that these people were still viewed as important in that company because they just weren't. If you're being real with yourself, then you know they just weren't being treated as they were important. And Sasha being someone that complains, quote unquote, and has a lot to say and is always doing sneaky stuff like retweeting her fit, like retweeting her fans that say, oh, where was Sasha this week? Or liking tweets that'll be alluding to Sasha being upset with the company. Then, yeah, Sasha gets this same uh, rep that Punk got. It's just being a, a habitual complainer and crybaby and all these things. And once you have that sort of... Uh, idea around you then there are gonna people that, are, that aren't gonna believe in what you say and i believe everything that sasha banks has probably been feeling but when you already have that reputation that shit follows you but i do think that if sasha came in along with dean ambrose already being there now you have kenny omega you have cody you have the bucks you have chris jericho i don't like playing the whole um hypothetical game or what if game but man, like, if that is a group that you're able to have by the end of the year, 
then they're set for a pretty good time. Yeah, and they have TV. They have TV on TNN, a major network that has a history with wrestling fans. And not just with wrestling fans, but with a segment of wrestling fans like myself who are have been disenfranchised by the lack of big-time mainstream wrestling that really scratches your itch. I mean, the home of WCW, for a lot of people, WCW was the last wrestling that they really saw in a major league in America that they thought that they cared about. And, like, for me as well, like, honestly, I... I was I've never been able to care about WWE. I've tried. I've watched it. I've given it a chance many times, but there's just something about it that I just never can and it probably does come down to something in Vince's fingerprints, you know what I mean? Because there have been times where I've enjoyed NXT, but even then like I I kind of compared it to the frog being boiled. They say you can, you know, put a frog in a pot and slowly turn up the heat until it boils and it won't jump out. Um in that like watching NXT, I like eventually realized like holy shit, this is just WWE. Like, the last TakeOver show, the presentation was like, this is just WrestleMania, basically. Right. But, you know, they slowly kind of spooned a little bit more and more to the point where, like, I was like, oh, it's fine, and then eventually it hit me, and I was like, what the fuck? And I always remember the ladder match. Um, it was the ladder match at WrestleMania where Zack Ryder won the Intercontinental title. And I remember as it started, I think Kevin Owens was in the match, which was super glaring because – I've mentioned this before, but Kevin Owens historically is the person who, like, I bought the most t-shirts from. Like, whenever he was on a show, I would always just buy a shirt for him. That's why it was, like, good that he left PWG eventually because I was never buying any other wrestler's shirts. I would always just buy his. <laughs> but, like, seeing him in that setting and the way that everything was being presented, I was it, I was struck in that moment where I said, this isn't wrestling. This is not professional wrestling. And that's, like, the first time that I ever really had that feeling watching WWE but it really did strike me that way. So AEW, I mean, this show felt like wrestling. I don't think that there's any conversation that it was anything but. They had all the bells and whistles, but big picture, this was a wrestling show. And for someone like me, that means a lot. And so, like, I mean, I guess this is as good a transition as any, right? We could start kind of talking about the show, but let's say big picture. What? That's my biggest takeaway from the whole thing, that wrestling is back in America in a big way. And this was kind of the coming out party. The first all in almost felt like an aberration. And this felt like we're here. You know, this was a more of a coming out party. What's your kind of big picture takeaway from the show? My big picture takeaway is like you, it did feel like a wrestling show, but I'm still I'm still a little bit skeptical because I think we got to see what happens with TV. I think we got to see how they present TV and what their uh, what their idea of TV looks like. Because it's one thing to have your three, four hour big show come across really well because you're not using a lot of time to have these promos in the ring. There's only one promo segment and that's MJF in the uh, title presentation, but that's the only talking segment on the show. Other than that, it's boom, boom, boom between the action. You'll go back to the commentary team and they'll give you a brief rundown of what happened or what's coming up next. The video packages, there's nothing that takes your attention away from what they're doing in the ring. But with all that being said, I think the I think the TV is going to be the biggest indicator of what kind of product they're going to offer. And... I still think the biggest splash they can make 
is not coming out in having a live microphone in somebody's hand. I think the best thing you can do is just go out there and throw some wrestlers out there mm-hmm. for the first match. But there's no guarantee that happens. But I will say that this show did come across really well and made me more optimistic about AEW as a product that I would be interested in watching more than I was before. Because even though I'm someone that wants AEW to succeed, even if, you know, Cody Rhodes annoys me and I have I have uh, my own fears of, of Chris Jericho being in a prominent spot and JR being in a prominent spot and all those things, it came across really well. It made me more interested to see where these things go. And I think that's the biggest compliment I can give it is that with all my hesitations coming in, they managed to reel me in more than I would have been otherwise. Yeah. And you know, and the TV, I can understand being trepidation in that you want to wait and see, but this presentation and you talking about it, like this is the big show. Like the TV doesn't have to be different from this. And like, I think that's another thing that, Maybe, you know, God damn, this is the first time I've, I think I've ever said this and it, I feel bad for even saying this, but you're younger than me <laughs> and uh, right. like you may be, I know that you've watched a lot of wrestling, but also like modern wrestling now feels like TV has to be a certain way. And one thing that kind of changed my mind is uncharted territory. When that first started, I was expecting almost like for beyond to do CWF worldwide and when what they did was like really just like a, a, a show, you know, it was just like a wrestling show that had some segments, but primarily it was just a wrestling show. Then I like kind of remembered that wrestling TV doesn't have to be different from wrestling shows. And AEW's TV can be the same as this, just, you know, shorter, where it's primarily matches and very little talking and segments because wrestling can be a sport and wrestling can be the main event of the show. And it feels like in a lot of ways, WWE, they treat it like wrestling is not the main event of the show. And it's all the stuff in between. That's more important. And that's why I say coming out of this, that this feels like wrestling is back because this show, I don't think you could argue like anything about this show was presented as more important than wrestling. Like throughout this entire show, the most important thing was wrestling. Even Dean Ambrose showing up, what did he show up to do but but kick ass? You know what I mean? To basically fight, which is theoretically what wrestling should be. So, like, while I get what you mean, it's that we have to see what they do. If the TV ends up being presented similarly to this, like, I would be very excited for for that product, you know? And I, and I want it to be. And, like, yeah, you were very, like, right to say, like, in the experience I've had growing up on wrestling on tv that's what it's been like the pay-per-views and the tv have been the same so i know that it doesn't have to be that way i just hope that these guys know that too right which is which is my which is my thing that we all know that that's like literally what cody rhodes has spent his entire career in up until up until three years ago that's what he spent all his formative years as a wrestler coming up in the business in that WWE model, that WWE mindset of how to write television, how to produce television, how to produce a broadcast, and there's no tangible difference between a pay-per-view and a television broadcast. And I know that it can be different. I want it to be different. I just hope the people in charge are aware of that too. That and just that hesitation, I... 
really enjoyed the show. I will say that I don't have anything on that show above like three and three fourth stars, but I really enjoyed it. It was a breeze to watch. Yeah, and that's probably pretty fair. I would say three and three fourths may even be high comparatively for me. Um, just coming out of it, I don't think that anything hit as well as I would hope. And that the funny thing about this show is that it, what it was was a story of like opposites that met in the middle. There was a lot of matches that over delivered, from what I was expecting, and then there was matches that under delivered from what I was expecting. So everything ended up kind of evening out in the wash, mm. basically. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like kind of the, the takeaway for me um, on the show overall. But I guess let's start into it. Let's get into it. I'll, I'm gonna probably kind of breeze through the uh, the pre-show because I didn't care much about the 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 meat of it, which is the uh, Casino Royale. Yeah, yeah, Battle yeah. I didn't, I didn't watch My, pre-show. My takeaway from the Battle Royal was it was dog shit. Um, they, the production had a lot of snafus. Um, there was a lot of things left to be desired. You didn't see it, so I won't get into any details because what, what's the fun of listening to one person review something? You know what I mean? Like if you want to hear just one person's review of this, I would recommend that what you do is you just go to 411 Mania and you read Larry Zonka's reviews because that guy is a fucking beast and like deserves all the love in the world because um, – you know, he solidly reviews basically everything. All of his reviews are really good and thought out and make points, but they're quick and easy to digest. So if you want one person's review of something, follow him. So I'll say this sucked. This was bad. And the reason why this is like a match that under delivered for my expectations is that the battle Royal that they had on mm. all in was awesome. So when they turn around and then we get the, or yeah, all in. And then we turn around and get this. It's just like, what the fuck? Like you guys have shown that you can, do this but they added too much bullshit there was a lot of issues with the production and the cameras and everything so it just was not very good um up next we had kip sabian versus sammy gravar this was probably like in my conversation for match of the night honestly um but that's just me personally i like both these guys a lot i'm probably always gonna be kind of at my heart a guy who really enjoys young underneath guys who kind of fighting to earn a spot um and part of it too is that they had really good chemistry for two young kind of high flyery athletic guys um, interacting with each other for the first time. So you're going to get some kudos from me for that because, you know, I see that kind of stuff fall apart and be really shaky a lot of times. And when you get two guys who are pro pro level like this, it's kind of, it's kind of like, um, like I'm trying to think like Osprey Ricochet, you know what I mean? Like the first time those guys wrestled each other, cause they're both so good. You didn't see any issues. You know what I mean? But there's other times where you see people like Osprey and Phoenix who were like one of the first times they wrestle each other. Right. It's like really shaky and shitty. Like there's certain guys who are just polished in a way where you're like, okay, you're like a world-class athletic flyer guy. And that's both these guys deserve uh, – Sammy Guevara deserves the, that kind of nod. Kip Sabian's not as much of a flyer, but he was he was holding his own in this match. So he did some shit, but he didn't do a 630, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, so th this was like in my conversation for match of the night, honestly. Um, but like, even then it's, you know, three and a quarter, you know? So I'm not saying like, it's definitely, but it's like, it was, it's in my conversation. Um, 
Up next is the main show proper. So I guess you saw this. And this is another one that's actually in my conversation for Match of the Night. Um, so kind of, I started out hot and heavy. And I heard other people kind of saying the opposite. That they thought that this show didn't deliver in the openings. And then eased into being good. But SCU versus Strong Hearts. But seeing as I've been talking about the pre-show a bunch. How about I let you talk uh, about this? Yeah, this might be my Match of the Night. Um, Yeah, this is exactly what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be... Uh fast-paced fun sort of banger for six man they didn't go too crazy here i was pleasantly surprised to hear how over strong hearts were in the building that uh made me very happy i was also very happy to see ellen Deman not come out in the face paint and fake dreads that was very that was a very <laughs> welcome sight but yeah this all these guys just flowed very well together this was and then now fast-paced action super well-paced and i like the finishing stretch here a lot uh scu as you as we would have predicted and thought were super over i think it's still weird to do the it's the worst town i've ever been in act as a face but whatever it works for this audience so i got i don't have too much to say about it but yeah i really enjoyed this and it might be my match of the night See, Quentin, you don't understand this because you don't understand that 85% of the world are bottoms. And pretty much everyone just wants to be the little piss pig that gets shit on by Jesus daddy. Christ. And all three members of SCU are daddy. I mean, are, are you going to argue with me that Christopher Daniels, Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky are not daddy? And the crowd is all baby, and they just want to be told that their town sucks by daddy. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's... It's weird. I definitely am not a huge fan of it. I liked it more when it felt authentic, but now that it kind of feels like it's like ironic, even there in on the joke, it really doesn't work for me as much. Um, but uh, but it's fucking over, so you can't argue with that, you know. Um, yeah, the this is another one where like the match before. It's it's a little bit easier to kind of hide when it's a six man because you have so many people in there and they're basically just hitting spots that are pretty easy to sequence. When it's two guys, that's why I give a little bit more like I'm a little bit more impressed by the accomplishment when you just have two guys and they're able to like have never really interacted with each other before and then basically just like go come mm. off without any hitches. Um, but these guys, you know, there's three of them in there. There's no hitches. Everything's super smooth. And again, that's consummate professionals i mean scu all big time vets that deserve scorpio big sky time looked credit. amazing and in this match, as, by the way scorpio sky always looks fucking yeah. amazing like ah it it pisses me off he's one of the most underrated underappreciated and i feel like a homer no he's you know, good I'm he's a just, he just guy, like and i've been just saying a this for years that kind of like ruined his own career <laughs> like that's fair i mean he he did kind of fuck that up with the wwe thing but he had been good for yeah. like 10 years before that so you know it's just he's just not getting he i just feel like he never got the love he's a guy who should have had a really good roh run at the time when roh was super hot and it's odd that they never brought him in really um i don't understand what that was about other than the fact that you know gay is racist I, um i don't know uh, i'm just saying that I, I i was thinking more of like the uh steen ever roh and obviously we know the issue there was that Steen and Scorp had their own problems. Right. And that's, I mean, yes, that goes back. But even before that, I mean, Scorp could have shown up in ROH when you kind of had the Joe kind of sure, Danielson yeah. era. Like he could have shown up in, at any time in there and been a guy who could have got over. Like it's just Scorpio is kind of unfortunately one of these guys, but you know what? 
unfortunately, I, I say unfortunately, but maybe not. Maybe now is his time, and that's good because he's just as good as he's ever been. So it's not like it matters that it's now. Um, he looks great. He looked great in here. You know who really looked great in yeah. here was El Lindemann, my boy. I love El Lindemann, and you know that I've I've loved El Lindemann for a long fucking time. Um, and he is he's developing into a real hunk. <laughs> like I mean, I great look, big meaty thighs. Everyone's talking about the short boots and all this, but he looked he looks fucking great here. And I talked about consummate professionals, but Shima is the consummate professional, and his students are always good. I like. I feel like if you're not pinpoint amazing and you like try to claim that you're Shima student, he'll come out and fucking murder you. Like you never, you don't hear of anybody who got trained by Shima who isn't just fucking crisp and flawless. You know what I mean? Like you just, it just doesn't exist. I mean, we were talking about it in the, in the Slack. You mentioned it earlier, but like Peter Casa, I mean, he's the only guy that you could maybe say was like a little botchy and was like trying, was in Dragon Gate. And then, mysteriously he retired from wrestling now i'm not saying that <laughs> shima she did anything would... or called out a yakuza hit on ropes? Him, but he may have you know i mean i'm not gonna lie he didn't want his name on that product like it wouldn't be surprising but yeah this for me this is three and a half i loved this this is a great like amazing fucking opener for the show proper and like really shows like what to expect from the company the next match, again, this is this match was probably the only match on the show, the trios, was the only match on the show that really hit what I expected. I maybe expected a little bit more, but I also was like in this range of what my expectations were. So out of everything, this is probably the only match on the show that like really hit what I expected and predicted. It's probably because I'm very familiar with everyone in the match. Um, the next match, unfortunately, had a little bit of a swerve curveball thrown in at the last minute which i can understand why and it was pretty smart but i also felt like it in some ways hurt the match for me and the next match is the women's trio or the women's three-way that got turned into a four-way with uh nyla rose kylie ray dr Britt baker dds and uh the last minute addition of Austin managed, managed by brandy and rhodes which they like the commentary didn't really go heavy on but every time they panned right. to Brandy during the match, Brandy was cheering on Kong. So I'm afraid of right. that being a thing in the future, but that'll be a bridge we cross when we, have to, when, we, when we get there. Yeah, and I didn't... I noticed that she was still there and clearly there, but it felt like it was small enough of a thing that it didn't feel like it was being focused on, but it also was definitely the story of it which i don't necessarily love yeah i'm with you on that um so brandy comes out in gear saying that she's changing the the plans and adding in you know wants to make this match awesome and then awesome Kong comes out um there's a little bit of a stare down with nyla rose and 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 awesome Kong to start there and uh they get into it and i would say it sucks because it felt like that was almost going to be the feature or one of the features of the match was the interplay between Nyla and And, and it wasn't. Kong. It just turned out to be like Kylie Ray versus Britt Baker. <laughs> yeah. And it, and in some ways it was good though, because it, that ended up being kind of the most, no, like the oh, worst no, I, parts I know of that. the match. Like, and I wanted to come on here and say like, I, I think Kong was better than I expected her to be. She moved pretty well for someone that I don't think regularly wrestles anymore. Right. So, 
Well, and doesn't regularly wrestle anymore yeah. due to injuries. She semi-retired because of injuries. So the idea that she comes back and she looked fine here, if she, you know, she did the trope of like the multi-person match where someone's on the floor, she was the person on the floor the most out of anyone. So, you know, but she still, when she was in there, in her physicality, she still looks like Kong. And I hate to say it, but maybe like, you know, this is Andre towards the end of his career. Like maybe Kong is an attraction that they know like they can't get a lot out of. So they're going to put her in there. Cause I mean, you know, Andre the giant famously did was like the master of the battle Royal because it was a good way to hide the fact that he couldn't do much. So maybe they're pretty smart in that they're going to book awesome Kong to kind of be there and mug and do her crazy faces and like hit a few spots that she can do believably because physically she's mm. shot. Um, you know what I mean? Which is very possible. And, Maybe part of that is having Brandy with her because that helps kind of add to the aura of the act is that you have, you know, more kind of action and kind of uh, turmoil and excitement going on because you have another person out there involved. Even, even in you Kong's I mean? physical prime, that was a deal too when she uh, was in TNA with um, Raisha Saeed. So maybe like if you... Yes. Which was cheerleader Melissa. Yeah. I just have to call yeah. that out. Like, Yes. <laughs> it's funny how many people TNA had before they hit their prime, and then they never capitalized them capitalized right. on them later on. But that's a uh, way different discussion for like a TNA retrospective podcast, which I have no interest in ever doing. Oh, that's that is you and Brock territory. I don't think Brock sure. seen them with TNA. <laughs> well, he's gonna. <laughs> but um, yeah, like it, I, that's sort of always been Kong, and I guess if you are gonna have Kong coming on a semi-regular basis that's probably the best thing to do with her but for right here it was a really good pop like i was actually surprised listening to watching the show back because i watched it about four or five days after everybody else did everybody talked about the john moxley reaction that pop for kong is huge so this was yeah, a good was. ass crowd i mean the, the, yeah like this crowd was that, into that pop everything for kong was huge but yeah, if we're just being honest with ourselves, uh, for me, this is probably the worst match on the show. Uh, felt clunk, felt clunky, it felt clunky at times. Uh, I thought Kylie shined really. I thought Kylie shined in it, but when it's Kylie and Britt Baker and they're the focus of the match at, for most of it, and I don't think Britt can really keep up with Kylie that well. And I, on top of that, I just don't think Huawei's are good most of the time. So I thought this wound up under the under delivering after the addition of Kong, but I do think they can get some mileage out of the Kong thing, even if it's just sort of a novelty act. Well, and Kylie, me and you both have talked prodigiously about Kylie Ray at this point. You know what I mean? And like the thing about Kylie is that she signs in a match that has stakes and has kind of like tension. And part of that is that she's a really good mat-based wrestler. And so a match where she's kind of supposed to be the shine or kind of the, 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 the stake rather than the sizzle, mm. you know what I mean? And the sizzle or the, the sizzle is the two big behemoths with Awesome Kong and Nyla Rose. And then they kind of shit the bed. And then what you have is basically you have Britt Baker and Kylie trying to be like the, you know, the kinetic energy and the high spots. And Kylie's not bad as like a go, go, go high spot kind of she can, wrestler. She, she can do this. Solid, but she, she can has do that, but that's good... just not what Kylie is either. 
that's not where she's best and she needs a really good dance partner and she did not have a really good dance partner here so yeah if you had done Britt baker kylie and you give them a little bit longer honestly that's another thing about kylie ray that i think is like underappreciated is that she's a long match worker and like not even just in the sense that like you know she's better in that setting but like I can tell from the way she structures her matches that like she really thinks about putting her matches together based on how much time she has. And when she has more time, she puts more thought into the match because she has the time. So she builds things that escalate and, and work into the story that she's telling. So a little bit longer in a singles match, Kylie Ray, Britt Baker, I think mm. could be awesome. You know what I mean? Where you really show everything that they can do off. Um, unfortunately, in this setting, that was not what you're getting. So you're just not going to get the same... Thing. I don't know. Are you doing star ratings? You're not doing star I'm ratings? I'm doing star ratings. Uh, For SEU, Stronghearts, I think I went three-fourths in this. I wound up at like two, I think. Yeah, I was two and a quarter. And that's just because I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. One thing I will say is like in a company where you already have, you know, um, we talked about it, but Brandy Rose out here and kind of the way that she's presented with Cody, which I'll talk about a little bit more later. Um, then also having Britt Baker using Adam Cole's move as her finisher is not a great look. It just, it really unfortunately makes women look subservient to their men in a way that I don't think is like super great. And, you know, I'm saying this as a, you know, a male feminist ally. So take it with a grain of salt or whatever. But I do think that in, our, in the context of like wrestling, I really do enjoy it when a female wrestler can be presented as her own thing and not just like, Oh, she's dating Adam right. Cole. You know what I mean? I like so so that hurt it for me. Or that didn't hurt it, but that is troubling for me moving forward with her, you know? So we'll see where they go from here with that. Um next match coming up. This is a match that yeah. over delivered for me. And I don't know where you come down on it, but the best friends versus Jack Evans and Helico, I didn't expect much. But what we got I thought was like a really good version it of kind a of rule match. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, I think we both we both came in here a little a little skeptical because we both love best friends and we both really enjoy Jack Evans. I think Angelica was the wild card here, and I think I think we were expecting the best friends to maybe heal it up a little bit, but no, we got Jack and Angelica healing healing it up. And while they did not give Jack a live microphone, which I think there's money in that if they do it, so someone put mm -hmm. this in a. Uh, Cody Rhodes is eager to give Jack a microphone, but it was really fun nonetheless. I mean, I haven't seen Jack in a while, so seeing him bump all over the place for the smallest things really warmed my heart just to get reminded of how nutty and insane Jack is. But this be, uh, I think this is when I, this is when I started feeling like the old uh, PWG problem for me, where every match feels like it goes on like five minutes too long and for your debut show i don't think that's too much of a problem but right here third match in is when i start to feel like okay like i'm starting to feel i'm, I'm starting to feel the, the length of these matches a little bit but i really enjoyed it nonetheless i like how they sort of continued where jack left off in uh places like lucha underground and pwg where jack is annoying as hell and dies on every move he takes, but he keeps kicking out of things. So I, I like the continuance of that here. Yeah, and that's a really impressive thing that Jack does. And 
I would say he came really close to it, but he overstepped the boundary just a little bit when he did the two count match with, um, I think it was Galloway and PWG. Um, in that primarily he's very good at just what you said is like he, he kicks out in a way that's annoying and you still kind of hate him, but and it doesn't come across as like valiant. You know what I mean? Cause like there is a point where unfortunately you like cross a boundary where then like people, the crowd starts to get behind you because you're like showing this fighting spirit. And like, he does a really good job of, of never doing that. I think unfortunately in that PWG match, um, eventually the crowd like turned on him and started to like him, which kind of sucked. Cause it was like, he was doing such a great performance as a shitty heel. Um, but here again, it's like very similar thing. It's just the guy is, he's such a great selling heel, which is like amazing the way that he's able mm. to pull that off. Um, I will say that like, if you are one of these people who I've heard and seen online complaining about, um, Angelico's, um, gear here, you've unfortunately tattled on yourself. Um, because if you try to pretend like you've seen him wrestle in the past, like five years, um, then like you would know that this is what he always dresses like. So I just thought that was very funny because I heard people complaining like, oh, Jack, uh, Angelico, I, I like him. You know, I think he's great and he's so cool. But his gear on this show was so bad. And I'm like, he look, he, that's what he, he always he, fucking he, looks like. That's the same ass gear. Forever. <laughs> yeah, this is just the dude's same ass gear. That's what he dresses like. Like you are majorly tattling on yourself that you have not been watching Angelico. And you know what? I've been in the mines. I've been in the shit Digging through Angelico matches, finding the good ones, the rare good Angelico matches where he faces guys like Travis Banks and Zack Sabre Jr. Meanwhile, you like two good Angelico matches in the last three years. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Meanwhile, you come in, Johnny come lately, and you tell me that Angelico sucks just because his gear (laughs) is bad. What the fuck? Who do you think you are? No. Yeah. I mean, but this match did over deliver the best friends amazing charisma through the roof really smart of them to just make the baby the angelico or the best friends baby faces here jack evans and angelico are kind of heels only in the fact that jack evans is an amazing heel even Can if we he talk about how great, of a, how great of a hot the, tag and, chuck is like like chuck oh, like chuck has I always been a great tag guy but seeing him just come in and clean house in front of twelve thousand people is just like oh my god like his hot like the chuck the chuck hot tag yeah. translates everywhere i think Right. And yeah, that's what I, you literally stole the words from my mouth. I was going to say, because seeing him as a hot tag in Reseda, like in the small building is amazing. Cause you hear all the little jokes that he makes. Meanwhile, in the middle of you know, the moves where he's just like, I'm a house of fire. <laughs> like, and he just, he says like random stupid shit in the middle of the hot tag that just pops you like in the room. And he's like, I don't know if I can still do this. And then he'll hit like a moonsault and like little stupid stuff that he does that's like amazing. But then even in the big stage here where I can't hear the quips in between, he's like, he's so good. Like he's just, yeah, he's got amazing physical charisma. He always has amazing facials. The guy is just, he's a star of wrestling. That's just like underappreciated. Again, another guy who's like underrepresented. And that's why AEW is so good because these people, these misfits who are never going to be in WWE for whatever reasons, um, have a place where they where people can notice them you know and like actually oh speaking something. of this <laughs> so yeah, come like, go ahead yeah but uh, exactly. speaking of this because after the match ended, yeah, yeah. Uh, who comes out uh, other than then the, we get the, the, super, the, the super smash bros come out and the super smash bros aren't the same ones that people might remember from the hd net days it is a uh, evil 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 uno and yeah, Stu grayson and they have evil minions now <laughs> 
Yes, which I I love, and I was listening to um, God, I don't remember. I I feel so bad because I'm about to do this, and I don't remember what podcast it was. But uh, Brian, um, Murder Brian from uh from Street Fight was on a wrestling podcast this week talking about. Oh, he was on uh, Everything Evolve, or yeah, um, Everything AEW, Every, Everything Elite, I think. Um, and he was, yeah, and he was saying how he liked the Minions, and I was like, as I was listening to it, because I was right, I was listening to it riding my bike back home, I was just like. Yeah, of course you love it, because he's the guy who loves the minion memes on Facebook. So it's like, of course he loves the fucking minions, because it's that. And I was, I thought about it, and I was like, oh my god, they need to fucking make the Smash Brothers like guys be minions. Like they need to just lean into the minion thing, because minions are really popular with like a certain segment of the internet. It's not me and you, but there's a lot of people who are really is into that, minion is that, bullshit. Is that still a thing? It's like. Pr- is it, is it, yeah, like it's primarily like kind of Trump it, dads, it, it, but still. Like, it, okay, so it's digging. not like the same audience of people that ironically keep talking about B movie, right? Okay. No, 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 no. It's the people. It's like Trump. It's like Trump dads and like uh, you know, like opioid moms. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those who are love the minions opioid now. Mom. If we didn't but, already uh, have a name for this episode, it would have been Trump dads and opioid moms. <laughs> And opioid moms. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like, you know how people talk about wine moms? It's like yeah, the next yeah. step above my wine mom. It's the opioid mom. It's like, you know. Um, but yeah, like, they should be minions. But this... I did not like the angle, and I, but I also was you mad did. at the crowd. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I thought the angle was executed poorly, but like chanting "Who are you?" was kind of shitty. I, 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 I you like know, the like because I, I think it's, it's, I think it's something. I think it's doing something different with the Smash Bros. Because. I like that. I just thought the execution sure. was now the crowd cool. thing. I'm gonna give them a pass. I think a lot of these people we just mentioned people not being in the trenches and watching all these in helico matches, searching for the good ones. Yes, these are a lot of people Ugh. that prop. Did you see Angelico versus ELP? That was the fuck. That was, was so bad. Like, I'm, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. I can't help it. I got PTSD. Okay, but like. I, I'm going to give them a pass because I imagine a lot of that audience is people that started following these guys in maybe 2015. We can argue right. maybe it's 2016. So I'm going to give these guys a pass on not knowing who the Smash Bros are and chanting, who are you? But I thought it was really encouraging when the Smash Bros had that last double team move on uh i think it was uh jack that the crowd like really just like gives like a big like ooh kind of reaction to that move so i thought that was encouraging and everything and i think that's gonna be that's definitely gonna be a team that gets helped by the tv but yeah i like the angle i was very excited i actually forgot that the smash bros appeared because i watched this days after the fact so the lights went out and i saw uh Stu and Uno, I was like, oh, fuck, like, this, like, this, I forgot this is a thing, and I got very excited, and that made the tag team division a lot more interesting to me. Right, and I did a good job, because I watched, I watched this, with like, within a couple days of the show itself, but I also, like, my, I kind of kept off enough to where, like, my spoiler level was just that I, I knew Moxley showed up, but I didn't know when. So for the most part, like I was still pretty unspoiled. So that was good. Um, but, uh, but this, I had no fucking clue. So I was like, I was into it and I'm, I'm with you that like, I'm excited for where they're going with them. 
Um, but you said it like the last double team move and the, they hit it on Jack Evans and then the crowd goes, ooh and ah. Well, why the fuck did they go ooh and ah? Because Jack <laughs> Evans. Jack, Jack Evans is an awesome seller. You know what I mean? So like he fucking ragdolls for something. Of course the crowd's going to get into it. Like he's just – he's Jack Evans is one of the best sellers, one of the most dynamic sellers of this generation. And I think like people overlook that. Like there's not really many people who you can compare to on that level. The way that he sells – is fucking amazing. Like I'm almost turning into like a Rob Naylor levels of markdom <laughs> for that. It's just like, you know, like I would go that deep. I'm just like, do you remember in the, uh, ROH, uh, dragon gate tag, uh, Jack Evans like, you, takes a backbreaker remember? and somehow ends up, like, do you, do you remember yeah. And Danielson somehow he ends Jack up Evans on his forehead. How Danielson bends him back yes. in his, in his head is touching his feet. <laughs> Yes, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, I will get to that level with Jack Evans because Jack Evans is probably one of the best sellers that's ever existed. Like, I say of this generation, like, I can't think of people who sell better than him. And it's not just because it's a mix. It's like Jack Evans is a really good seller, but he's also this a phenomenal bumper. So it's like it's it's the mix of both things, like, in a way that's, like, phenomenal. So, yeah, like, of course they're going to get into that. But I hope that uh, – that the smash bros do something in here and i think that it's smart and like you could already see the seeds and this is what i talk about with smart booking of this company in general is that they are they do a really good job of introducing things in a way that are, are don't hit you over the head with it but like i mean clearly the young bucks want the smash bros in here because they have really great chemistry the young bucks and the smash brothers are great against each other so they're going to bring them in so that they can have great matches with each other. But you debut them like this, and you don't make it super obvious of where you're going. I think that a lot of people are going to see this, and that's not the first thing that's going to cross their mind is, oh, I, these guys are going to fight the Young Bucks. You know what I mean? It's not even You're not even going to think about that right now. But eventually, that's where we're going to get, and it's going to be cool. It's going to be a big-time thing. You know. So I'm excited for that. Um, uh, okay, this match I think I give three three stars to the to the tag match did you did you have a rating uh, i, I want three and a quarter for that okay so that makes sense um commentary i thought about it and like people talk about commentary in general on podcasts we have not even mentioned it what did you think about commentary on this show in general this is a good place to bring it up i think other than alex marvez who look if i have one request of AEW, it's please don't do it don't do a three-man booth that is my own. Don't, that is my only request. Because yeah. other than Alex Marvez and him just being there to point out the obvious, which is like the worst commentary role of all time, I I thought right. they did it in the very smart way. And my biggest fear is that we'd be hearing a lot of Jim Ross on this show, and X Cal would be there to like help him fill in blanks, but. No, it was Excalibur doing the heavy lifting. It was Excalibur being the play-by-play guy. And I was actually shocked by that because we we have known Excalibur as like maybe the second best play-by-play guy um, that's not in WWE in wrestling over the last few years. You could argue that, that maybe like Lenny yeah. Leonard is better, better than him. But again, that's a short list of people that are better than Excalibur. And... They let him be exactly what he is, and he is an excellent play-by-play guy. They let him keep his humor about him. They let him make his obscure references. It it was very clear that they told Excalibur to just go out there and be himself. And I appreciated that. And they had Jim Ross in the color role, which 
like thank God for that. Like thank God that Jim Ross was only doing color and he wasn't tasked with trying to keep up with everything that's going on in the ring or trying to get people's names right. And Excalibur was there to make sure everything went smoothly. But I thought the commentary was pretty good. I've always I've always been first yeah, to go I, ahead and be like Jim Ross is fucking trash and you like if you're in New Japan and you not know that these things are going on and Jim Ross is not helping your product at all other than name value then you should get someone else in that spot because he doesn't give a fuck but Jim Ross was good here for what was asked of Jim Ross I can't say that he was bad right and I've I, you know I've heard people who are attacking him for calling the OWE guys Chinese or whatever and it's like can you fucking blame the guy when they put Oriental right in the name of the company that he was at least nice enough to say the name of a country? That, you know what I was, mean? That was very like, weird branding. He, I don't know. I, I get that the OWE thing is yeah. what they are like largely a part of, but they could have gave them a strong hearts Tron or something. They No, there was no, strong it was, hearts but, Tron. There was strong hearts yeah, OWE. Saying, like, it was like OWE, yeah. strong hearts. And like overwhelmingly, even on commentary, Excalibur is guilty of it too. That they, when they were talking about them, they're talking yeah. about, oh yeah, of uh, OWE in Shanghai, China, and Excal knows that who these guys are, but it's still like he's still kind of he's if you aren't paying a lot of attention, you would think these guys are Chinese based off how even Excalibur was talking about them. Right, exactly, and again, I mean, basically my point is kind of a jokey point, but it's still a point. It's like. Jim Ross is an old fucker. And like, if you start talking about Oriental and then you got a bunch of fucking Asian people on the screen, I don't necessarily know that you expect much from him other than at least being nice enough to say Chinese. You know what I mean? Like you do something similar to me in the same setting and I'll end up saying something really fucked up. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, but sometimes if you hint at it enough, I'll just drop the end bomb. I can't help it. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, I liked the commentary a lot. And, um, and I thought that, um, Excalibur did amazing, or I guess I should call him by my official name for him, which is Excalibiers. Um, because I know that my man do be loving craft beer. He told, um, he, like he definitely do. seems like a craft um, beer guy. He is. Yeah. He's from San Diego. I mean, he lives in San Diego. Now, oh, so oh yeah, totally. Like the capital <laughs> of the United States. So yeah, he's into beers. So Excalibur, um, but uh, I thought he did really great here. I think he, I love him with the suit and the mask. I think it's a great look and something that's like missing from like mainstream. Oh, we we, we got to talk about this. It's just that kind of vibe. I know that like people that watch PWG have probably been thinking this for a while, but like, at what point do we start calling Excalibur one of the best commentators? Like, if not of like the generation, like then maybe ever. Because Excalibur's been really good oh, for yeah. a really fucking long time. It was just that he was only doing it in PWG. He deserves a lot of credit for really, in a lot of ways, changing the game. I mean, there's like, there's the early, uh, you know, probably the most glaring version of this that people think of is like the um, the Necro Butcher's Necro Butcher versus Samoa Joe match that had Punk and Eddie Kingston on commentary um, for the match where they're going nuts the whole time. Um, and praise yeah, that was, it was three. and yeah and bringing like a vibrancy to commentary and also being like young and, and edgy and cool but Excalibur kind of was part of that scene bringing that in but then he's like matured and like kind of taken that style and up like kind of made it like a but little he's bit actually more got like he's actually gotten good 
which is like he's been good yeah. for I would say a decade now. Long maybe like he's been really good because you remember the first PWG DVDs and how very clearly it was Excalibur doing it at, doing it at home and you know they would go shit about the DVDs or whatever. Yeah, and they would joke about it, you know, and they would be like wink and nod, and they'd be joking about it, and they would be really drunk, and he would like do commentary on his own matches and like basically talk about it, you know, in third person <laughs> reviewing his own match. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Like, and it was fun, and like even relatively recently like within the last decade like stuff like good old dr like with davy richards doing like a, a jim ross oh, impersonation man, and, and you know yeah exactly but that stuff was like so fun and so cool but like updating it and changing with the times and being like being like open to the way the world has changed but not being like the kind of person who gets caught up in like being overly apologetic for the way that you used to be like that's a good thing too is like he's very like this is who i am this is who i am now you don't really ever hear like excalibur talking about like yeah i probably should have said something when uh chuck taylor said that uh, uh ricochet looks like a gay lizard you know like that's not something that crosses anyone's mind really about excalibur but like you know he was on commentary for that and he was joking around and laughing about it and like you know, saying, what did he say about, was it, was it Los Luchas versus, uh, I can't even remember who, but saying like, this is the gayest match since gay went to gay town. And like Excalibur said that on DVD, but like, he doesn't like overly apologize for that. He just like moved on. It's like, yes, I said something stupid. We all know that it was stupid and I don't do that anymore. And like, uh, that's fine by me. Like sometimes maybe if you do things, you have to like reckon with like actual actions that you've made, but like saying something dumb, drunk on commentary, whatever. But my point is, yes, Excalibur has grown. He's developed. He's an amazing fucking commentator. I would say like right now, I'm I like primarily the past couple of years, I'm, I'm a little bit partial to like Dylan Hales, Cecil Miller. I think that they're really good commentators outside of like WWE in America. I like the, but, um, but when that team was still talk- together, I really like Agnes and, um, God, the guy that um was Don, was it Don, whatever they, whatever, whatever in OTT, that that team that was oh yeah, that yes, team, yes. Um, was really good yes. for a while up until uh one one of those guys left. Agnes is still there, but they have they got a replacement for the other guy, and that was a really good team. And Lenny's still great and everything, but yeah. Xcal has just been great for so yeah, long. Yeah, and, and Alan Allen and uh, Graves or Gray were a good like team you know there's been good commentary in general but like excalibur has been so fucking good for a very long time like you talked about where he is in that conversation and now people are gonna start to hear him more and think about him as a great commentator which is you know the next step but talking about the next step let's talk about the next match this is a match i think we were both excited for i will say it under delivered for me in a way um I wouldn't say it was terrible, but this this falls just into that camp. I was expecting a little bit more. Um, I don't know why, but it's the kind of Joshi trios match. Um, we've got Yuka Sakazaki, Emi Sakura, and Aja Kong versus uh, Hakura Shida, Riko Abe, and Riho uh, Mizunami. And one thing that was tough on this with the commentary and also on the discourse is you have two Riho, basically two people whose names are Ryo yeah, three, yeah, and Riho, Riho and, on the Riho same team. and Rio. 
Yeah. And I think that people took that again as um, Jim Ross being out of his element and not paying attention because he's calling people by the same name. But their names were really similar. So I can't shit on him too much for that. And that's kind of part of why I brought up the commentary thing, because I wanted to talk about it here um, again, because it felt like it feels like people just want to dunk on Jim Ross. And you have to understand, dude's old as fuck. And you've got people whose names are really close together and also probably difficult for him to say. I mean, this motherfucker could never say Scroll. You know what I mean? Like he couldn't say Marty Scroll. So, like, are you really going to get mad at him when these like all of these names that are primarily like Japanese names are really difficult you know, you know, for him. You know what it is too. Um, it's like the same people that get mad at Dave over the smallest things when it comes to his uh, wrestling reporting. And I'm like, right, this motherfucker has called someone like has gotten close to saying that someone looked like a lawn jockey. Has gotten has gotten close <sighs> to um, uh, what the fuck was it? He pretty much alluded to Marks being um similar to the n-word and a whole bunch of other shit a whole bunch of other uh oh yeah like outwardly very misogynistic things and very dismissive things and you're gonna get mad at him over some bad reporting and like that's like always my thing is like right. big picture like i have way bigger issues than dave than he might have reported something wrong or he might be a little biased towards the elite guys. Like, I got way bigger problems than that. And I got way bigger problems with Jim Ross than the fact that he might have messed up some names that are pretty similar on a live broadcast. And right, I guess that's just my takeaway of it is it's like when there's people like that that exist in the world and they're still in prominent positions of power or at least prominent positions to be a heard and seen in different mediums then like i'm gonna have more issue with like how how what they actually do than what they wind up doing on the screen making a mistake and in my mind i think jim ross made a pretty reasonable mistake that you would that you would expect from a 70 year old shithead so like i I, I don't know i don't know what you what people were expecting were, were expecting there like like in a perfect world you wish that you will get the same respect placed on um pronouncing people's names um everywhere just as uh you get it in the person's native country but between Riho and Rio like even I like I try I try my best to make sure I say the names correctly based off uh how the uh language would have it said. I think I'd do it like all right, but I know that sometimes I'll probably do it like completely terribly. And even I if we were doing this rundown and kind of give a play-by-play of what happened in this match i might have mixed up the names of riho and rio at some point but like you said I'm, yeah. I'm gonna kill the guy over the bigger things that he's done over like that which is a pretty understandable mix-up yes exactly no what we really need to talk about is the fact that he pushed and over like hyped Brock Lesnar and undervalued Shelton Benjamin like that. I mean, you want to talk about, okay, he mixes up names, but that's institutional racism right there is basically what that is. It's like, this guy is a freak athlete. This guy is also a freak athlete. You know what I mean? And it's like, why did Shelton Benjamin never become anything? 
And, you know, whatever. I'm not going to blame that 100% on Jim Ross, but you get my point. It's like, let's talk about the bigger picture stuff. Let's talk about the guys who are, like, equally fucking deserving of something, and they get held back by society's, like, kind of intrinsic racism to, like, white people. And, like, it's really easy for me to say is, like, again, white feminist ally here. Um, hello, everyone. I should get a name tag that says white feminist ally and just, like, wear it around everywhere so people know. Like, I'm one of the good ones. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of more my point. Like he's fucking old. It's late. And the names are close. This is not dunk season. It's not time to fucking try to be doing like NBA jams. I know, but, like, you, but, fucking, but, but, but you know, like hardest... dunk season never ends with certain people. Like, j- like Jim Ross, Voices of Wrestling, Dave right. Meltzer, like dunk season right. just never ends. And like, again, like that's I have true. my own issues that are way bigger than whatever the fuck happens on a, a bad opinion that they might have on a podcast or something that they might have had to say about someone's act or met or flubbing up a call on commentary. Like I got way bigger issues than that. And right now, like Jim Ross doing a shitty job on commentary for this match when he's been doing a shitty job on commentary for the past, like five years, like that's not, that's not high on that list. And to be fair, I mean, on this night, he was yeah. decent. You know what I mean? You say he's been he's been doing a shitty job on commentary for five years, but this was like the worst. I, I would I wouldn't even say this is the, his worst showing on the night. Like honestly, this was like maybe like the second or third worst thing that he did the entire yeah. night. Like realistically, and he's like pretty solid for the most part. Like whatever. Um, this match was very good. This was not the match that necessarily deserves like me overlooking it to talk about Jim Ross being. Well, no, it was like, a good. It was a good match. I think um, this match definitely brought some personality and fun to the show because really, if you look at it, like this was sort yes. of a very serious show, especially when you when you got towards the end and right after this, you get you got to like a very serious match, and I think this is a, this was very necessary to be a little bit more lighthearted and have these colorful characters come in. And uh, get the crowd into it. I was pleasantly surprised. And you pointed out earlier how great the crowd was all night. But again, like this could have been easily a match where the crowd just didn't give a shit. I like the fact that Excalibur made a point to make sure that say that all these women are, are aren't from the same promotion. And something that we that we were that we were yeah. talking about last last week when we did the show is that a lot of people might be watching this at home thinking that this is just an offer match from one of the Japanese women's companies and it's not as people from all over the place. And I'm glad that Excalibur pointed that out. Yeah, that was, that was really cool. And I liked that a lot because it added the stakes again. I, as like a fucking wrestling as a sport, Mark, I love steaks. You know what I mean? And, and I'm a vegan. No, I'm not a vegan, but I don't eat red meat. And, but I love the steaks in the wrestling matches. Um, and this is a setting where I really enjoyed it, especially with Excalibur bringing that out. These are this is not just an offer match from Stardom or something, which would have been super easy to put together. Brandy has wrestled in Stardom; you could make just something like that happen. But instead, you they actually went out of their way to get some of the best wrestlers from all over Japan. Um, I think it came out a little bit after we initially talked about it, and by that I mean um, it was brought to my attention after we did the review last week, but. Uh, um, I think Rio was um, she had went freelance relatively close after this and was announced as having signed with um, AEW. So when we talked about it at the time, we talked about um, that the only person in the match that was signed 
to uh, to AEW was Kurt, was Rashida was Shida, but uh, Rio had Riho has also actually ah that's see this is the thing that's driving me crazy right now I'm trying to remember exactly who it was, um. But uh, give me like two. I'm sorry. I should I should be able to vamp better, but I literally got to the point at this point where I can't even vamp anymore. Um, Riho, yeah, so it was Riho. So Riho has recently went freelance and was announced as signing a four-match deal. I don't know if that's before this, if that's including this or after this, um, but she has a four-match deal with AEW. So in the end, it didn't matter. It didn't, like, affect the finish in any way, but in some ways it kind of did, but the idea that, like, there's a team that had two people on the roster who are assigned to AEW at least somewhat mm. long-term would have maybe shifted my opinion because I think initially I said that Sheeta would take yeah. the loss um, as the only person signed to the company, but she ended up getting the win. But also, like I said, because two people on the team are signed to AEW, that may have swayed my opinion slightly. So I'm just hedging my bad decision a little bit here so I don't look like a complete fraud. Um but uh, but yeah, the match itself was good. Aja Kong looked really good, like she always does. Um, I thought Sheeta. I thought they did a really good job of making Sheeta look um, menacing, and not menacing, but yeah, like looks, legitimate. She has got a really hang. good mix. Like I know a lot of yeah. people that like Sheeta. I also know a lot of people that don't like Sheeta, and I've usually found myself somewhere in the middle on her. But she looked good here. The people that I liked the most in here were probably uh, Riho and Yuka. And I'm glad that they got de- decent bits of shine. But yeah, she doesn't look good here. And I was actually surprised at how well she came across how with how uh, other people were coming across so well, too. Yeah, I thought everyone looked good and, and the crowd was into it for sure. And I think, yeah, I think that um, they did a really good amazing job of presenting everyone i think yuka if they can't get her they need to try to get her because yuka would clearly get over huge in america i just think the crowd would be majorly into her she's got really awesome vibrancy to her everything she does um i think the crowd would just love her um or the american crowds would love her and they'd like her here a lot um I, but again, like speaking on Sheeta specifically, because she stood out in a lot of ways. I thought that she was a feature of the match for sure, and I think that they did a really good job of of having her beat. You know, I'll say it like she's kind of that idol style of girl. She's she's very good looking, which I think is not you know telling classes or telling stories out of school or whatever. But in here, she had a good mix of being good looking, but also like solid and stiff and and like she could hang like you talked about so that's a good way to present a star in a company like this because i think that when you've got like i think kenny omega kind of fits that role also you know what i mean like ddt is kind of looked at as like an idol promotion in a lot of ways and like kenny has a good mix of being like a good looking idol kind of guy but also being like someone who can go stand toe-to-toe with top stars so this is a great mix um like i said this match was a little bit underwhelming for me just because i was expecting this to like steal the show level match which i think that they almost still i think, kind of still, did, I, think I think there are a lot of people it, that would still probably classify this as their favorite match on the show which i think is a pretty good yeah. testament on the show that 
honestly, people go as high on this as like four and a quarter or something. Right, which is not insane. Like I can definitely see that. But for me, I was I was hoping for like knock it out of the park, like at least four star. But like I I came out of like three and a half. I don't know. Did you did you I say want, I want three on it? Okay. Yeah. So you know, like I think we both kind of similar feel. But let's talk about the the main event, the real main event of the night. Um, at least for some people, maybe for myself, honestly. Um, Cody Rhodes or Cody versus Dustin Rhodes, right? I think that's how you have to say it because you can't call him Cody Rhodes, technically, because WWE owns that. Um, I don't know. Like, I loved this match. I thought that these two had kind of brought everything that you had hoped for, or at least that I had hoped for, um, and a lot more. I really did not expect what we got here, um, especially because the blood. I mean, Dustin, like, just... Uh, uh, we, we said that, they, that, that, the, that the, somehow, some way, there's going to be blood here, though. I think we expected gimmicks, but what they did here that was interesting is that they played with that concept really well because... Dustin bled to a point where like they didn't need gimmicks. All they needed was the blood. You know what I mean? Like that sounds weird, but like in a lot of ways, the blood became the gimmick of this match. Um, And it was probably intentional because you see that Dustin came out in the red and, you know, historically all white is like kind of the story for, for blood. But for the story that they were telling here, it was really smart that Dustin was wearing all red because it helped amplify the blood and the story of this match was like ridiculous blood like the the story of this match was like horror show blood which like kind of makes sense with the american nightmare you know what i mean like that's kind of what this match was was the american nightmare like this blood was gruesome and that's what the story that they told and cody like as soon as the blood started coming cody was on the cut and he was working over the forehead amazingly it was just viciousness Dustin fighting from underneath the bigger man, like historically with Dustin, we talked about Dustin's quality and, and having Carl and I'll say his name for the first time ever on this podcast. I will invoke that uh, dark evil name, but talk about like, it's ridiculous to say that, that Dustin is a top five tag worker ever. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? But like Dustin historically is an amazing guy who can like work big and work small. And in this match, when he started bleeding, he was able to work small where like, his brother is like maybe four or five inches shorter than him, but you could like, never like, believe like, it Dustin's for a, a second. Dustin's a fucking giant. Like I don't think people understand how big he is, and that yeah. primarily spent his career as a babyface while being as that big is like that's insane. Yeah, it's really impressive. Yeah, it's really impressive. He's a really good. He's really good at working small. Like when it's time to work small, he gets tiny. And here, him selling and the and just gushing blood. Cody is all over the cut. Like. It's phenomenal, the work here. Like, the drama here, the... People can get into whatever they want to say about the gimmicks with with Brandy being involved and all this, but, like, this was epic. Just violence back and forth between the two. This is, like, the conversation, like, between this and the... And the um, <laughs> it's so fucking weird. Like, this just really talks to, the, like, kind of my fucking fucked up opinions of wrestling but it's like between this and uh kip Sabian and sammy Guevara is like my matches of the night you know what i mean like <laughs> what a disparity I, 
I know, but like these guys just fucking killed it. The drama here, the the history, the like I said, the 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 way that they made they didn't need to do any other gimmicks. They didn't need other weapons. They didn't need other like stuff. Like they turned the story of just this bloodbath into that's the story. Um issues with the match, the commentary like repeatedly calling everything the crossroads. They just wanted to say crossroads as much as they could, I guess. But like literally every move, they just kept calling it the crossroads if it was a big move. And that just got kind of annoying. Um, the stuff before the match with the, the smashing this, the thing. And, and this is like, I was going to talk about it in the pre-show, but I guess I'll talk about it now. Cause we kind of like skipped over the pre-show stuff. But like one thing that I find very odd is that for everything that they do really well about pre- like pre- presentation and like like making everything really smooth and having like seamless integration of like your social media presence and your like in-ring presence and everything else cody and brandy their relationship on screen is always fucking awkward yeah like they just come across so stilted and weird together funny, like, like funny, i don't like funny enough it, almost like exactly how triple h and stephanie used to come across <laughs> Kind of, but a little bit. But the thing, like I thought, Triple H and Stephanie came across better. Like, like they just like. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, yes, okay. Better in that, like I. Okay, I'm gonna get a little bit crude here. After tonight, I have to do a little bit of a trigger warning for people for for this. So that you know, if you're if you are um you know, scared about sexual conversation here, but Stephanie and Triple H come across like they fuck. And some of the stuff between Brandy and Cody feels like like these people have never <laughs> touched each other. Beds. Like, yes, like it's very awkward. Them on screen together is always fucking weird. It's just so, it doesn't come across natural at all for a relationship. The and it could be just like kind of they have like um what do they call it? like stage fright they just kind of have like that performance anxiety in center stage where like they're trying to play characters so they're like really distilted from who they are as real people but it, it's really awkward in different ways where it comes across like these people have never interacted with each other outside of this you know what i mean And it's just very weird and so them interacting with each other here and then throughout the show like i said with the pre-show stuff with them and like then this makes it even worse where it's just like it's just it really takes me out of everything because they do such a good job of presenting like a seamless transition between like their characters on screen and who they are on social media and getting retweeted by AOC and and just being like all of this stuff and then like but then at the same time you're like D- have you ever touched your wife's <laughs> boob? Like have you ever even seen it? Like it's we it's it's fucking crazy to me that that happens. But that's outside of the context okay, of before, this match. Before I talk about this match I want to talk about the Cody please. Rhodes entrance. Yes, please do. So get into it. When I first keep my eyes, I said I watched this days after the fact, and when I first saw the gift popping around, my first thought is that maybe it was out of context. That maybe he had a whole entrance deal or whatever, and that he was sitting in the throne, and then he turned around and maybe was like, "Nah, fuck it, I don't want the throne. I want to destroy the throne or something like that." And it still would have been dumb as fuck, regardless. But I thought there might have been an actual thought behind it. So I'm watching this entrance. And as Cody Rose comes out, he, just, he comes through the tunnel. Like, there just happens to be a random throne at the top of the stage. 
and he just walks past the throne. He doesn't he doesn't ever sit sit in it or do anything. He just walks past the throne, and then he gets down to the ring, and Brandy hands him a sledgehammer, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? What what was the point in any of this? Because like, why would you have the throne out here, and no one sits in it? Nothing happens. What the? Th- you know how thrones are just sitting yeah. around. You know that's okay, a normal like, thing. <laughs> for as good of for as great a stage that I think the double or nothing stage was, I thought it looked very good. But oh, like as much as like of, of a defender as I've been for the elite guys, as in like people think their like their heads are like super up their own asses, and I think that people don't give them give them enough credit for like understanding that everything doesn't have to be about them and having a good understanding about about how how pro wrestling works then something like this happens and i'm just like ooh like maybe <laughs> maybe i spoke a little too soon because that was maybe the most like like random thing that's happened that happened on that show and i get it like it's cody cody has power and if cody's like man i want to fucking break a throne because fuck triple h like okay like cool go break a throne but it made zero sense at all and it, it confused me a lot yeah i hated it <laughs> i i'm with you like i thought i thought maybe, i thought maybe they were gonna do something there would be I think they were gonna something be something with it sit in the throne something like like have you and brandy pose like posing the throne but you know after after the realization that they don't fuck i guess that's not possible either but like, yes. like just nothing with the throne and you just go back up there with a sledgehammer and destroy it I <laughs> I still laugh about it but if we can get to like the actual meat of this discussion which is the match um, well no okay here's the thing if you really want to impress me with Cody doing something with a hammer on that throne I want to see him hammering Brandy on the throne and then I'll believe that he actually fucks his wife you know what I mean like that's how you <laughs> impress me but breaking the throne does not impress me so i'm actually really surprised at how much people like this match and yeah because i like them i like the match but i don't know it felt like cody's control wasn't very good i thought i liked the idea of it i liked him you know even like his like his own brother he's going after the cut so viciously and wiping the blood on him and he's covered in the blood of someone he shares the same blood with and all that shit like i liked it but i don't know like it felt a little dry to me at times though and not dry as in like oh this is like bad it's like like dry <laughs> as in like you know what like yo this is good but as in, like it's not like transcending it's not going past like a certain level for me i like dustin selling a lot but i i wish he got more offense and i was i would say and maybe that doesn't fit the story they were telling because the whole story is um, Dustin being old yeller. He's the old generation and all that. And Cody's trying to put him down. And it makes sense as to why he wouldn't get a ton of offense on Cody once he starts bleeding. But I think I wanted a little more out of Dustin as he started to fire up. And it just never got there. The finish I thought was super flat. Like... Normally, I like really conclusive finishes, but I think because um, one they kind of me- they messed up whatever they were going for. It feels like they were going for some sort of Spanish fly variation, and they just didn't have the grip for it. 
is, am I wrong in thinking that? Is that what that is that what they were going for? It seemed possible that, that there was something on that that got mixed up, but I also maybe no. I think because he finished it off with the with the crossroads. Well, no, I, I think like, I don't think that was the finish. I'm saying that was like what, what was leading to the finish. So so yeah okay, okay. yeah I the think setup. I think they maybe. were trying to do some sort of like maybe like the speedball uh Trevor Lee like like a a sideways Spanish fly I think but yeah, again yeah. like I think that I think that hurt the finish for me Cody Rose doing his like shitty cop killer um where the guy just lands on Cody on Cody's shoulder yes. and back and it doesn't look like it hurts at all it looks like it hurts Cody more than anything. I feel like when Cody hits it, though, it's not a cop killer. It's a killer cop. It's a Definitely. cop who kills. The, hold on. Well, actually, yes. I might have been a cop killer because Dustin is a cop. So that, Fair. That might, that might have fair. been the only actual cop killer in wrestling history. But... <laughs> oh, and, the, um, and then he has the crop. You know what? what? I was going to say, I get what you're saying because I... like. You know, I'm always watching the matches as we talk about them, and I get what you're saying, but I do. I also think that it's just it was Dustin trying to do that like flipping lariat sell that he always mm. does, and I think it was Cody trying to like lean into like really like selling the impact of his right. lariat. So, it, so I can get what you're saying because it kind of looks like it's like a Spanish fly attempt, but C- Dustin has always sold clotheslines that way. He does like a flipping right. So I don't know sell. what they were going for there, but. For me, it hurt the match, and then Cody gets up and he does the cop killer. It doesn't look good, and then he hits, and then he hits the crossroads. And for me, that made the finish feel kind of flat. I appreciate everything else leading up to it. I like going after the cut. I like the callbacks using each other's moves and all that other fun stuff. The cut is great. Like it's one of the best blade jobs I've seen in a while. But it just yeah. there's a lot. There's it just doesn't hit me on a big emotional level i was thinking that maybe like after watching the videos and uh the video package before the match it maybe it would drill me in a bit and in the match like despite the fact that there's blood and usually blood is a great way to sucker me in to getting into something and it just didn't get me all the way i still wanted pretty high on it i went three um went three and three fourths so i did really like it but it just didn't register for me the, the same way i've seen other people call it like their match of the year which you know, I, I can't say it shocks me, but I would love to see if those same people are really into uh, Marty Scrove versus Nick Aldis, which I haven't seen yet. Uh, I was. Yeah, really again, and I know you, and I, and I know you were, which is why I'm yeah. curious to, to see if that's like a yeah. widespread thing. I mean, it feels odd because I, I definitely get where you're coming from comparing the two, and there is definitely a very similar vibe to the two. Um, in a in a lot of ways. So I'll I'll say that you're you're right in the way that you see it. Um, but I buy into both of them very much. I think that talking about it has bumped me up a little bit to where like this is my match of the night, and I'll, I'll give this four stars. But talking about it as match of the year, I won't do because I mean I've already seen Takeda versus. That, Christian, that, that, so that was my. There's no way this could be a match be my of the year. Next question. Is that it seems like for people like that really like this, this is like match of the year conversation. And so I was wondering if like that was gonna be no. the thing for you. Nah. Nah, I've seen Takeda versus Gresham and I've seen uh um It's not that Makabe versus if, Yehai. If, like, so versus I mean Hedek. I I this is not if gonna that, be a match. Yeah, you know you know I think like the I think the Tim top three quota has already been filled. 
Yeah, this is not going to be in the match of the year conversation because, of course, you know that I am officially obligated to have my top five always include at least two Jeff Cobb matches. So I've got three matches above this, and then I've got I've, I just have to force two Jeff Cobb matches Jeff, into Jeff my Cobb top five. Jeff Cobb versus the Last Brand. Um, Jeff Cobb versus Matt Taven. Whew. There we go. There we go. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to that Matt Taven. I might, match, I might go to that show um, honestly. It's, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's here in ba- it's here in Baltimore, and it's Jeff Cobb versus Taven, and it's that's gonna I be so it, good. It's Bandito versus whoever the television champ is gonna be, and I'm assuming it's gonna be Shane Taylor. If if he's, oh, yeah, something. Nice. If it's Bandito versus Shane Taylor and Cobb versus Taven, I might wind up going to that show. That's a worthwhile. Those are two big time worthwhile matches. Is it a pay per view? That's, or a TV that's the best in the world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's that sounds worthwhile, man. Honestly, I would go. I would go to that I personally. But that's also because I'm like an unapologetic. I haven't gone to a wrestling show since. Uh, when's the last? When's the last time? Uh, since the last time Zach wrestled in Joppa. Yeah, I think. It, I think. It, yeah, I think it was like Zach and Keith Lee and Thatcher versus Yeah. No, I went to the Yeah versus Walter show. Oh, yeah, well, nice. I went to the Yeah versus Walter show, so that might that might have been the last time I've gone to a wrestling show. So it's been a while. Yeah, it, it's been a while for me too, actually. There was a AS AWS um, women's show that I wanted to go to really bad, but I think we ended up having to go to something like a family event that night, so we weren't going to be able to make it, which kind of sucked. But either way. Um, I loved this match. I talked myself into four stars. Like I said, not it's not going to be match of the year for me just because there's been a lot of other really great matches this year. I mean, fuck, like Takeda versus Jimmy Lloyd probably beats us out just because just for the spot where the scissors get stuck in Jimmy Lloyd's neck. That that's such a cool spot. Um, but uh, but coming out of that, we get into the the title presentation which just seems odd it seems like an odd placement in the card for this it seems like something that you it's that you would have done in like maybe like the first three matches right or like before the main event yeah yeah but it's like a weird place to put it here and then go into the tag team title match but a different company so, so, there, so there's, not, there's not a lot to Either say way, here but i will but my only takeaway is Holy shit! Is MJF a natural at this thing called pro wrestling? <laughs> because uh, I think he's uh, either twenty or twenty-one, and the way he just came out and commanded that audience—twelve uh, thousand people, easily the was he on All In? He was on All In, so second biggest. So, uh, yes, he was in the opening match with uh, Matt. All right, Cross. so yeah. Other than all in, biggest crowd, he, biggest crowd he's been in, biggest crowd he's been in so far, and now he gets a lot. He gets a live microphone and all this stuff. Gets airtime with Bret Hart, and God, he's just so fucking good. I've I've actually done a bit of a turnaround on MJF this year because before I thought that the character work was there, it was good, but the in ring was like severely lacking. And this year, between um, one match with a. Uh, Noted wrestler of the year and great wrestler El Fantasmo, and um, yes. Ethan Page and Alpha One. I thought you were gonna say Josh Bishop. Um, okay. I, I haven't seen the Josh Bishop match. 
decent, but you know, when you say noted wrestler of the year, I just instantly think yeah. of Josh Bishop. But, but um, <laughs> seeing him come out, I was like, gosh, like this guy is so natural at it. And it really, it kind of reminded me of how shocked I was when Leo Rush came out on Raw and he was like so naturally good on the mic. And granted, it's different because MJF's whole thing is that he's a great talker. He's a great character. And then when Leo Rush came out and did it, it was it was sort of a, a, a revelation because anyone that watched Leo Rush knew that that wasn't Leo Rush's thing when he was on the indies. So... But, like, seeing how natural he was commanding an audience that big when he isn't someone that's a big star necessarily. He's been on being the elite, but as far as places where he's where he wrestles, it's not the most buzzworthy places. He hasn't done a lot that um, has crossed over into the bubble as far as his matches go. And to see him go out there and command that audience was super impressive to me. Yeah, and that's, I mean... That's a, a good point in general. Um, I guess my only takeaway from this, and it was really not necessarily this segment, but it was more big picture, was like hearing people talk about this made me kind of... A question popped in my mind. And maybe you're the guy um, to answer it. Is that... I hear a lot of people talk about how MJF is amazing on the microphone and in front of crowds and he's just so fantastic and he's such a great heel. And every time I hear people saying this, I don't necessarily hear them saying like that they they hate him, but they say like he is so good at performing as a heel. And I don't necessarily know that there's anybody who actually buys into his heat you know like do you know anybody who actually is gets like they are the people who are upset at mjf or is everyone just talking about how great he is at performing i think, as a I heat? think yeah and i, I think really I think it's that go ahead but it's also it kind of goes into like the reality of the miz which i think is where he probably gets a lot of his inspiration from is that if you know anything about the miz or if you keep up with the miz at all Miz isn't the most dislikable guy in the world. Miz is actually super fucking likable outside of um, being a heel for most of his career in WWE. If you like learn about the Miz, if you know anything about the Miz's backstory, like shit like JBL hazing him and uh, making him go change outside of the outside of the locker room and all and all that kinds of stuff, then Miz is pretty likable. But I don't know has 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 Miz ever made you feel like you actually hated him or was the thing where like oh god man Miz is so good at performing as a heel right and that's I mean that's the thing it's like is that good <laughs> like in postmodern wrestling people enjoy that but is that a good quality to have I think that works for, I, I, like, I think that works for good... AEW I think for a company that isn't Fair. afraid of social media and dropping all that, dropping all the heel bullshit and characters or whatever for social media, that it works. Obviously, MJF is someone that still mainly stays in character on his social media handles, but no one actually thinks that MJF is a bad guy. No one thinks Cody. No one thinks normally thinks like Cody Rhodes is the worst guy in the world. No one thinks Chris Jericho is the worst guy in the world or anything like that. So I think for a company like AEW that's sort of 
all about the sort of like postmodern shit where yeah we'll be out here on the screen and ooh I'm a bad guy but we all know that I'm not a bad guy because look at me I'm being the elite I'm really funny and cool and I think MJF is the perfect guy guy for that and this goes to my point about Miz is that like as as great as I think Miz is I've never hated the Miz when I've watched him uh, my main thought is always like wow like the Miz is so good at performing as a heel and all that stuff and I think that's sort of what MJF's lane is right now. I think he's a guy that will also benefit when he actually has something to chew on to as far as a feud or a story or a program. I think he can probably lay into a guy or something serious. Like the Ethan Page uh, video package for their dog collar match. He's really good at making me dislike him going into that match. But I can't expect that from him just on a random appearance to get beat up by three baby faces. I think when he gets an actual story, he will be someone that gets real dislikable, I would say. I hope so. And But you mentioned someone in there that I think is like the opposite. Like, Ethan Page is a guy who I think gets legitimate heat. And he's like, I feel like a lot of people talk about Ethan Page and MJF in a similar conversation. And I feel like no one talks about Ethan Page or no one talks about MJF as like actual heat. And I feel like people do talk about Ethan Page with like having actual heat. Like, I feel like people actually fucking dislike Ethan Page. I think it's, I think it's people that I actually feel like think I, Ethan Page is a bad wrestler. Because, fair. That's a very because fair Because I think it's people that have, that have convinced themselves that Ethan Page is actually bad. When I think... Right. Um, honestly, since Josh Alexander went down with injury for the first time, that the last few years he's done some really good single stuff for the most part. But it's right. people that, you know, they'll still say Ethan Page is bad. So I think it's still sort of that thing, but I get what you're going for. Right. Well, I mean, fuck, his match with Kobe Durst is in the conversation for match of the weekend for WrestleMania weekend. Like, I, I, you know, like... I think to say he's a bad wrestler is just out. Oh, no, of course. I think any, of, like, I think any... any conversation. His match with Jordan Grace is phenomenal. Like, you know, the guy is really a oh, very no, like, good like, like, I know. So, I get it. Like, if anyone, like, yeah. No, no, I'm not saying to you, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I get that. So I, I definitely get where you're coming from, That some of the upset with him. But it's like me. Like, I disliked Ethan Page at a point, and it wasn't based on thinking he's a bad wrestler because I always liked him as a wrestler. But I think he was able to cultivate, like, a real heel personality that actually, like, made me dislike him. And it's just, like, I don't think that I've ever had any kind of feeling like that with MJF. But you talk about MJF and separating, like, social media and stuff, and he does do a good job of that because I know – based on just like rumblings and stuff that he's in a relationship with Alley cat. And she's a phenomenal baby face. And I follow both of them on social media and they never like make it clear that they're dating each other. And that's really smart because he's the heel and she's a major baby face. And they do a really good job of separating that. You know what I mean? Cause I could see getting stuff like that mixed up. You know what I mean? Where like you would not necessarily think of him as a heel and like, He's one of the few people who came on Austin's podcast in gimmick. You know what I mean? He was on Austin's podcast and he played a heel gimmick and they got into it. It's because of that commitment to being a heel. So I'll give him credit for committing to the character, but I just feel like everyone who's a fan of him as a heel is actually like 
distilted from wrestling or from like the heel character and like are saying like he's really good at playing a heel character and like i don't really hear of a lot of people who are like i fucking hate that guy you know and like that's my only issue with it so i thought the segment was executed very well i think the only issues with it were like brett was a little bit off camera which is really funny because like you know, they talk about it takes like all these years to learn how to play to the hard camera and then the guy in this segment who fucks it all up is the guy who's been on was on tv for how fucking long you know and he can't remember to play to the hard camera so very interesting in that regard um it felt like a weird placement of that segment but whatever i think we should move on to the next match which i don't know to me this was in the camp of the disappointing matches i don't know what did you what did you think of lucha bros versus young bucks uh my disappointment here comes from the fact that this had a lot of potential not for like oh man this is gonna be like a crazy spot fast between two teams that can really do some nutty things it's they had some they had the potential for some really cool stuff in this match some really cool creative ideas and stories so in the video package leading up to this matt and nick talked about how they haven't wrestled that much this year they've only wrestled a couple times they took time off to let Matt's back heal, which was a big problem for the team in uh, 2018 as they were scrapping their way to victories. So, in taking that time off to let Matt's back heal, this is the most time they've taken off as a team in a while. And for that, they're a little rusty, going against a team that has wrestled as a unit a bunch of times this year. And in the first couple of minutes, they played with that story. They played with the idea of uh, bad timing and not having the same communication that the Young Bucks would have. You know, you, you know the Young Bucks, they're like as well-oiled machine as that cliche get, as that cliche gets. Like they are the embodiment of constant motion and knowing your partner better than you know yourself and all and all that stuff. And in them being rusty, they go for a tag team. They go for a tag team spot and. That leads to a miscommunication where Nick winds up double stomping on Matt's back. And that's great. That's brilliant. That's creative as hell. That would be an amazing way to kick off a match if this was 2018. And if they were facing a team other than the Lucha Brothers who would play into that injury. And I think that's where my frustration lies is that... You know who that would have been a really good spot against? the revival <laughs> but even not the revival like even it's like imagine if we get if, if it was like best friends in that spot imagine if it was super smash bros in that spot the briscoes in that spot like something like that that would have been a fantastic match yeah but think about the revival who were amazing masters of working over right. a body part you know what i mean it almost felt like it was the setup for that match which they've been teasing for yeah. so long and then we end up with this match instead. And I think that's my problem right here is that it would be fine if they just went up there and had the kind of wacky wild spot fast that you would expect from these two teams. But when you tease me with something that's so like creatively ambitious and cool and like, ooh, like I wonder how this played off or ooh, this is a really cool way to get to reintroducing Matt's back injury and for that to not matter the rest of the match like that bothered me and i'm not usually a guy that gets frustrated by that kind of stuff like 
there are some people that get fr- that get frustrated if a person does like two or three minutes worth of leg work in a 25 minute match and then the leg work isn't really a thing in the last uh 20 minutes or 19 minutes or so of it and i'm someone where it's like it all would it all depends on how that person is working the leg if they keep working the leg and all that kind of stuff where like that's what it'll take to bother me like the rest of the context surrounding it but right here when you introduce something that could have been a really unique and creative wrinkle to the young buck story of the last year or so and you don't do it and you just go back to the by the numbers match that you would expect from the young bucks and lucha brothers that really disappointed me and i think i probably wound up with this match at like a three maybe three and three uh, maybe three and a quarter but it had potential it laid the groundwork for something that could have been so great and they they just don't go for it at all which really really bugged me yeah and i mean you know i think quentin is still new to the the name droppers podcast which is the the what we're on here today where you just call him out and you just say uh you know evan weston this guy who if he sees two minutes of leg or two seconds of leg work if you're not selling it for the rest of the match then it's a terrible match no um there was so much buildup in this before we got into the match that like just didn't get paid off on in a way that was really fucking annoying for me at least and like i'm like i'll give this match three stars i thought that they executed a lot of stuff really well but there was a lot of stuff that really fucking annoyed me and especially annoyed me in that regard these motherfuckers (laughs) the young bucks they hit like four different new moves in this match and none of them were the move that they've been teasing on social media for months that they had a new move that they were going to win the match with because they end up winning the match with their normal ass move you know what i mean like what the fuck you guys won the match with the melter driver after months of teasing that you're going to win with like a new move and you hit a bunch of new moves well, how, how about show. like let, let's get so like super annoying. old old and old and mad and jaded and yelling at clouds and let's talk about oh you guys spent all this all these months building it up and showing up at and showing up at each other's shows and events and fighting and laying each other out and fighting at press conferences and taking each other's titles and then you just sort of have the match everyone expects you to have if this was PWG like yeah exactly there's like nothing special about this match after everything built up there's no playing off the history between the teams there's no playing off the storylines that you've been telling in the matches. So you're already like completely ruining everything about this. <coughs> Sorry. One of the things that really fucking annoyed me in this match was Nick. Everyone else in this match had something to bring new, at least in some way interesting for the big stage. When Nick had his time to shine, he had the same fucking moves that I've been seeing this motherfucker do since, like, 2004. What the fuck was that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's... I hate to say it, but Nick Jackson is, like, clearly just the the worst member of his team. Like, he's just being dragged along by Matt. And Matt works so hard to try to put this stuff together. But Nick just, like... He's just coasting. Like, Nick is, like... He's basically... Jeff Hardy if Jeff Hardy had never done acid. You know what I mean? He's like, 
normie level Jeff Hardy. I've never done. A, I've never touched a drug. You know what I mean? That's what Nick Jackson is. Like it's just it's fucking sad to see this guy being presented because he's very athletic. He can hit his spots. He he's can do his thing. He's one of the best thing. spot guys ever. Like yeah, but beyond that, he has he brings nothing to the table. He has nothing interesting, nothing new. He's got very little personality. It's just like it's depressing to see this guy come out there and do basically just getting dragged along by his brother. And like I I like the Young Bucks. I've liked the Young Bucks for a long time. But this is these are the moments where I'm just like fuck. Like what the fuck is going on here? Like it feels this is the scary thing about this company because I'm really excited about this company, but knowing the Young Bucks is such a big part of it makes it feel okay, like a house okay. of cards. Okay, okay. Here's my here's my argument here. Is that we've seen the Young Bucks follow through on these ideas and concepts with other teams. We saw them follow through with these ideas and concepts versus Super Smash Bros. versus the Gorillas of Destiny versus Rapungi 3K versus Rapungi Vice versus the World's Cutest Time. World's Cutest Time. I don't think it's a Bucks problem necessarily. Like it's not like Nick Jackson certainly didn't bring anything exciting or fresh to this match. But I don't think the Lucha Bros are that good in certain settings and. I think this is one of those times where you're asking, where you're trying to make something so narrative driven and heated and creative and like, <laughs> like, and have like an actual story behind it. And that's just not the Lucha Brothers as a tag team, at least not in most cases. Like you might get something like the ring Comp versus Lucha Brothers match from the uh, World Tag Team League that might get there, but that's because they're beating, they're beating the shit out of Phoenix. But in a situation like this, I think like that the Lucha Brothers are way out of their depth for like anything that they've ever shown to be able ever to be capable of, and to me the disappointment lied there where the Young Bucks laid something out and the Bucks didn't commit to it, but the Lucha Brothers certainly didn't help. That's I mean that's definitely fair. The thing is for me is that I've seen the Lucha Brothers have very acceptable main event style matches with basically everyone in every setting. So I hate to say this, but they're like kind of a blank canvas team in that they can always do some cool spots. They seem like they're very good. They're like jazz musicians. They're like jazz background players. You know what I mean? Like they can always get there and do what you need. And you talk about like a ring comp match. Um, I'm trying to think they have like a match with, I think like uh, Pete Dunn and, and Sammy Callahan on a DGC yeah, yeah, I remember, that was yeah, I remember that. pretty solid. Yeah, like that was solid. They had a match with a CCK that year that was like in my match of the year conversation. You know what I mean? Like, I think that they can work to the level of who they're in there with um, in a way that like is commendable. But like you said, like the idea that, that – Oh, you shouldn't blame the Bucks because the Lucha Brothers aren't that good. It's like, yeah, but the Lucha Brothers also aren't that mm. bad. Like, the only time that the Lucha Brothers have bad matches is with teams that are bad. You know what I mean? So, like, that's kind of my point is that they're like they're like a canvas. I think that they work to their competition, and this is just like a conversation that's like a bigger picture thing. But, like, maybe the Young Bucks are not that good for this, like, setting. Like, they, I don't think that they can be a main event tag team mm. in a big company. Like... I, I like the idea of <laughs> tag team wrestling being in the main event, but I don't know that the Young Bucks can capitalize on that. And it's not even like in a 
like in a all time way because I think that there was periods of time where the Young Bucks were definitely a main event caliber tag team, and they were like a main event caliber tag team in the sense that like people should have been paying attention to them and they could have been like a big time thing. But I think that they've just they've missed their time and unfortunately I think it's because like I said like Matt Jackson is like kind of physically falling apart probably more really than just kayfabe and nick jackson just doesn't have it when it comes to like creativity and like actually bringing something to the table so i just i feel like while they have like one member who's still maybe in his physically peak they have another member who's on the downstring or on the downcline and unfortunately like he can't make up for that so i didn't hate this match but like i also didn't think it deserved to be the semi-main event on this show and like i'll, I'll come away with this like two and a half stars. i don't know for me it's all for me uh, it's also a thing where like the bucks are coming off what i would call one of their career years maybe their best year ever in 2018 and it, it's hard for right. me at least to come away with to come away from this being like oh man i'm not sure if the bucks are ready for that spot and that's valid that's a valid thought but when a team like the when a team is coming off as great a year as I thought the Bucks had in 2018, and they have a, a match that isn't up to the standard they might have set that year, then I'm just more inclined to go with the team that I don't like more as as part of why the why the match didn't work. And I would say I'm someone I'm someone that believes like there's equal blame to go around for everybody. So it's not like, oh, the Lucha Bros are fucking trash and they can't hang and they're the reasons why this match didn't work. It's not that. But if I'm someone that does believe that the Bucks had such a great, like, tag team year, one of the best years a tag team has had this decade, one of the most creative years any set of wrestlers has had in the last, what, 20 years, I would say, then I'm more inclined to just go with the Lucha Bros because I'm I'm not a big fan. I'm not going to deny that. I have a lot of issues with the Lucha Bros. They bore me a lot of the time. But I feel like this is a thing where I'm just more inclined to be like, you know what? This team just came off like a career year. I'm probably going to go with the team that is more prone to disappoint me. That's fair. And I get where you're coming from. But that was a long layoff. Mm. And sometimes, like... Chickens come home to roost in that time that you take off. And I would just, I'm not saying that necessarily it's 100% the case, but having a team that had such a great year and then they don't seem to know how to bring it. I mean, this is, I don't know, the AAA match for the titles when they won the titles. Like, the crowd definitely didn't know, wasn't into it, but also, like, you know, it was very quick. It was nothing. And it just felt like, I don't know, you would have, you should have been able to, like, call an audible in the moment and, like, do something to get yourself over. Maybe that's just me, but I think that they should have. Like, seeing, like, the crowd's not into this. We need to make this work and do something before you just win the titles and, like, get booed if you're trying to, like, have a big impact, Mm. you know? Um, I guess you could say maybe it's heat. It's like they thought like, oh, we just the crowd's not into it because they're angry. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's true. Um, but to me, it's just like you go from that and then you go into this and it's like 
they had a career year. They took some time off. I can understand everything about why you would take their side. But to me, it's like all time in that conversation for greatest ever. They don't shit the bed like this in a big setting. And unfortunately, they kind of mm. did. And so we can see, and I'm not 100% saying that the Young Bucks are washed and that's it. They're fucked. I understand, I understand, why, I understand why you're feel, concerned. Yeah, because it's like big time acts, even if they take time off, even if they are in there with bad people, they make sure to deliver when it counts. And this was a situation where it counted and they just, they didn't, you know. But when you talk about big time acts that are washed out who deliver when it counts, then that's a great way to talk about this next match. Um, we got Chris Jericho, who's definitely a big time act, who's definitely washed out. But I feel like repeatedly, this motherfucker brings it when it's time. And this is a match where I think it, this is probably in the conversation of the matches that did not disappoint. It was like these guys and then SCU and, and Stronghearts. These are the only matches that, to me, like hit at the level that I expected. Um, that said, it's not my match of the night. It's not in my conversation for match of the night. But I thought that these guys brought it in a way that felt like a main event. They brought it in a way that felt like it was for the title. I thought everything that they did from the entrances, from the moment go felt like it was important i thought it was interesting to see kenny omega coming out as the second entrant coming out in a setting where he's not the big personality and i feel like we've had years of kenny omega being the big personality person in his matches and it's very it's very cool to see how he brings a more subdued character against someone who is the bigger larger than life character even in a setting where he's losing you know what i mean like kenny did not really try to outshine jericho here he was definitely this was a match about making jericho and i think that i've had a lot of issues over the years with people who can't make stars or make other people and this is not a situation where kenny needed to make jericho because jericho is a star but kenny knew his place in this match Kenny didn't devalue himself in any way. And I think that both guys come out of this match looking great. Nobody comes out of this match looking bad. But I think that Kenny definitely was able to show that that intelligence in a wrestling setting where this match was about making Jericho in a big night, in a big spot for their company. And I think that coming out of it, I don't think that Jericho could have looked any better. Like, based on his physical situation, based on like where he at, where he is at in his life and everything that comes through, I don't think Jericho could look any better than he does now. It's really interesting to see Kenny and Jericho just next to each other physically because Omega might be a little bit taller than Kenny, but at this point they're both like the same width. So it's really funny to think of Jericho as like a small guy in WWE and all the years that people have talked about Kenny going to WWE and like what would have happened there. And it's just like, he would have been, at the best like Jericho like he would have been a small guy so it's like it's so much better to have this match in AWE where these guys can deliver this in this setting blood this is the next statement I have to make blood this match brought blood in a completely different way than the Dustin match in a way that I don't know if it was hard way I think it was presented as hard way I think it may could have been hard way but it also felt like it was a trinket added on to a big time exhibition of skill. This was not, well, exhibition, 
in the sense that it's like showing off the talents of the people involved not exhibition and like the importance of the match right but the fact that this was a match about wrestling for wrestling's sake with some tables and some violence and some cameras mixed in and the blood was just like a trinket of that whereas like i said with the dustin cody match like the blood was the focus of the match the blood was the gimmick of the match so i liked that in the sense that i could see people saying like why would you have blood in two matches unfortunately i think you know this may have been hard way may not who knows but i thought the way that it was treated it added something to the match in a way that um that brought a lot to the match but also felt very different and didn't feel like it was like in any way picking back picking backing off of the other blood so like it really worked in that sense the execution was phenomenal from omega everything was super crisp he made jericho look like 20 years younger honestly um even stuff like slamming jericho onto the table in the corner jericho like came through it so smooth that you couldn't even you wouldn't have even thought that he had hit the table but like he sold it so like it worked but it was just like I could definitely see doing something like that and Jericho just coming out of it just wrecked. And Kenny took care of him throughout. He made a lot of out of what he did. He made the match look great. He made everything look like it hurt. He made everything look believable. The crowd bought into it. There was times where the crowd were just like living and dying with Jericho because when Kenny was on attack, was on offense, they just felt like Jericho was getting his ass kicked. But... It didn't ever babyface Jericho, which I thought was an important thing because he is a legend and he is an old man in there against a guy who's like in the prime of his career, maybe a little bit past his prime, but like really he's like at that peak and never once did you like get sympathetic on Jericho here. You would just always like, maybe you got a little bit concerned with him. It's, it's something that I guess I'll do. I'll like kind of explain to the crowd here who's never heard me on other podcasts, but something I've talked about in this week in wrestling recently with the, the Brock versus Brian Danielson match, which has become a talking point for me in a lot of ways. It's just that uh, in that match, Brock was killing Danielson, but you never felt sympathy for Danielson. It felt more like what Brock was committing were war crimes. So it was like, it was not necessarily like you felt like bad for Danielson, but you felt like you shouldn't do that to anyone, even if it's a piece of shit, like, brian danielson uh, omega did that here with with jericho there was moments where like the super backed off driver off the top felt like like a big fucking deal and something you shouldn't do but it never felt like i felt bad for jericho the most that you felt was like you shouldn't do that to someone judas elbow sucks i'll just call it out i don't like it i don't think it looks good i don't think that um the jericho should be using that as a finish i understand why he is even though he hit the the lion salt multiple times in this match so it's like he's not physically shot to the point where he can't do big moves but he wants to have like a shooter-esque strike for a finish which is like kind of the rage right now so i can get why he came up with it but i just don't think it works i can also get why it works against like okada coming up because i think a rainmaker oh you know it's coming you know it's coming oh yeah yeah, and that's when Jericho wins the title, and then that's when I have to just say my 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 what I've already like breathed into life in the Slack chat, which is that Jericho is going to beat Okada for the IWGP title, and then he's going to unify it with the AWE title, so that he can have the two title belts like he did in WWE when he was the unified champion. Um, that'll be the next move. So everyone just be ready for that. 
I loved this match. Um, like I said, I wouldn't call it match of the year conversation. Um, I wouldn't even call it one of the best matches on this show. Just because I think that Jericho physically is just not there. But he knows when to hit his spots, man. And he knows when to do his stuff. And, like, the entrance is really cool. I think that everything about this was executed at the best that it could have been for someone who's just probably slightly too old to still be doing this at this level. But only slightly. You know, like, I wouldn't say, like, Jericho is, like, you know, an ab an aberration. I don't think that, like, I would say, like, this is fucking depressing. This guy needs to just pack it in. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would say, like, this guy is, like, a little bit too old, and some of the stuff that he does is just, like, a little bit too slow, and some of the stuff is just, like, a little bit too awkward. But really, like, for the most part, most of the stuff he does is really well, and, like, the big picture stuff that he does is like perfect. Like he's really good at the story that you're telling. So yeah, I, you know, three and three quarter star for the, for me, for this match, I thought they did pretty much everything perfectly. I thought the post match was really the story of the night. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Quentin, what did you think of this match? Um, a little surprised by your sort of glowing review of this, but I, I get, I get what you're saying here and that like, even with Jericho being a little bit over the hill, he still has great timing and he still has a great grasp of like the basics and essentials of pro wrestling. My big takeaway here is, man, I don't want any more of Jericho trying to keep up though. I don't want any, I don't want any more of that. To me, this was like Jericho and, AJ Styles and their feud in 2016 it felt like that where yeah Jericho can still do some stuff but it felt like he was still trying to prove to himself and other people that he can still hang with someone that's considered the best wrestler in the world and that's something that I would say his New Japan work wasn't for the most part like the Omega match is very much heavily leaning into bullshit and heel tactics and um weapons and plunder and all that kinds of stuff that's what the naito matches naito matches are a lot of plunder a lot of brawling a lot of shortcuts and cheap tactics and all that kinds of stuff and i think for a lot of people while i didn't always love those matches for a lot of people that worked for jericho because he realized his limitations and was leaning into other things to make the matches interesting and that's not what this double or nothing match is at all. It's very much a straight up wrestling match. If you came into this expecting the Jericho that had the uh, walk and brawl and uh, fist flying, like the Naito matches, like that's not what you get at all. So he he's fine here. He's fine here. He doesn't do a bad job. The person I came away here really impressed with was Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega really enjoyed those months off to get his body back together because he was bumping like a maniac in this match for like every single thing jericho does the triangle drop kick on the apron and uh kenny just fucking dies taking a neck bump on there so i thought kenny really held it together kenny sold his ass off in this match and made jericho look like a million bucks which goes to your point of using kenny to make jericho as a legit guy in the company but yeah, my main takeaway here is, uh, uh, like, 
I'm not sure I want that many more straight up Jericho matches going like nearly 30 minutes. And he didn't do bad. Like, I want to make it clear that I don't think Jericho was bad in this match. Like, he's very much physically capable of having a good match still, of having a decent match still. A match that doesn't fall apart because of his athletic limitations. He can do he can still do stuff here, but I just don't think that right now he's been interesting enough. Or at least at least in this sample. I don't think he's been inter- interesting enough in a straight up match for these kind of guys to make me interested. And it really, really scared me about what that Okada match might look like. Because this was 26 minutes. We know Okada, we know Lately, the dude's been going 40. If the, if we get Jericho versus Okada going straight up in a 40-minute match, I'm I'm not sure how that's going to hold up. Because you know for certain we're going to get the Judas Elbow, Rainmaker, Rainmaker Counter, and all that kinds of stuff. And I'm just, it really worries me about that match now, seeing how straight up this Jericho versus Omega match was here. I can I can definitely see where you're coming from there, but like I said, I didn't I didn't see a lot of issues with it. Like, I don't think it was an issue. Like I said, like I can't say it was bad. It's more like it was just didn't connect with me. It didn't connect with me. But I'm not gonna sit here and be like, oh yeah, this is complete dog shit. Jericho's moving like shit, and he shouldn't be wrestling guys like this in this style. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying this is like for me, it kind of registered as like, uh decent match that gets elevated because of Kenny Omega's bumping. I don't think Jericho's personality here is as turned up as it is in New Japan. Which you could say that Jericho has to do that in New Japan so he gets a reaction or anything like that. So he doesn't he's not necessarily doing that in AEW because he's in America and he's already over as fuck. So I can understand that, but I think him just going all out and over the top and like the heel antics and talking and just being completely petulant in those matches is what made it at least somewhat interesting. And I would have liked to see that at least a little bit here in this Omega match. Okay. I mean, that's, that's fair. And it did, there was some stuff in here where like, I, that's why I don't go crazy where there's some stuff in here that felt like greatest hit stuff, like the camera exactly, stuff like, felt like, like a little it, bit like, like you can't actually of... sit here and tell me that Jericho was a heel here. And that's not what Jericho's last two years has been. Is that he hasn't like, he's, He's supposedly this guy that's been doing all this great heel work in the last uh, two years or so. And then he doesn't at all. Like He does not play heel at all in this match. And I thought that was very strange. He only heals it up in the post-match when he's telling everyone to thank him. Thank him uh, for AEW existing and bring everybody, to the, bring everybody to the show and things like that. But other than that, like he is not a heel at all in the actual match itself. Right, and that's, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, when you talk about, like, the actual work of the match, I thought that you, you know, you kind of referenced something that I mentioned, but it's definitely something to talk about. It's like that this was a very good showcase for Kenny Omega making a star, which is kind of a big picture takeaway from from AEW or for AEW in the future is that you have a top guy like Kenny Omega who's very giving and willing and able to make stars which is like in question you know you want to have a company where you can have someone like that who can make people Let, let's, so, let's have this discussion though because uh, we didn't touch we didn't touch okay. on it but with uh, winning the battle royal in the pre-show hangman page had earned herself a spot in the 
Master Crown and inaugural AEW champion. And then the winner of Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega was going to get the other spot. And with Chris Jericho winning here, it's going to be Hangman versus Chris Jericho. And we're talking now about how great Kenny Omega was and being um so selfless and really putting over Jericho here and making Jericho look dangerous and look like a guy that you should take seriously, even if he has been around for a long time. Like, he's still someone that can compete at a high level. I feel like if, again, maybe Jericho will still be able to do it, but I feel like if you're going into your inaugural title match, that you'd want someone that you feel like can create a star and bump all over the place for them and make them look great. And that's Kenny Omega, and I feel like that would have been Hangman versus Kenny. And that's still going to happen at some point, but maybe that's not what they want right now for the uh, first champion. They want someone with some name value, someone that's been around, someone that, you know, they're going to go on all the talk shows, all the busted open radios and his own podcast and all that stuff. And that's a great look for the company. But I feel like if you're actually like just looking at it from the who can get someone over standpoint, my idea would have been Hangman versus Kenny. What about what about you? Yeah, I mean, yes. But when you talk about the guy who's going to bump around and make the first champion, I think Hangman is the guy yeah. to bump around and make True. the first champion now. Like, that's the only my only issue with this now is that like I've like I've completely changed my opinion because my initial prediction has just got completely blown out of the water when everything got changed in the way that the booking was going. You know, I was expecting some kind of swerve situation. I was expecting we end the night with Hangman as the champion here on this show. So that's not what we got, obviously. So now I'm pretty sure I've, like, been pretty talked into. Jericho wins the title. And, like, yeah, like, Jericho, I think, is going to have Hangman to bump everywhere for him to make him look good and and deliver a solid match. And then you have Jericho as the champion. And you talk about Jericho going on talk shows. I'm really excited for... um, for Jericho to show up on like RBR radio podcast and have uh, Maxwell uh, or Mark Maxwell <laughs> Maxwell uh, ask him about like, Hey, why did your best friend kill his family and skirt all responsibility? And then just have Jericho go, ha ha. That's very funny, but I am the alpha and Omega. You know what I mean? Like what? Like it's, it's just going to be very interesting to see what they do with him. Cause it will be odd. He's got so much baggage. Like he really does have a lot of baggage as someone to be the first face of your company. But He's also, with that baggage comes a lot of credibility and a lot of history. So you do kind of wonder, like, is it the right move? It feels, right now it kind of feels like the right move. I get why they want him to be the champion. But I also kind of question it just because Jericho has, he's shown to not necessarily always say and do I think, the right I think, things. I think and... he is the right choice only if he doesn't keep the belt for super long. That's that, right. That's my thing. You can sort of do it like... Uh, ROH Loki style where Loki was the first champion and then he holds he holds it but he doesn't hold it for super long he holds it for just enough to get Xavier into the picture and you know what happens with Xavier and uh, uh, revisionist history there is a, di- is a different thing but at the time it was okay Loki's already established he's been like an indie pillar for the last few years Loki is credible Loki doesn't need that title So you use Loki winning the title and being the champion to put someone else over and that person wound up being Xavier. Do we, do we see a similar thing going on here with, okay, we're going to make Chris the inaugural champion, but in all actuality, the person that we're really going to get behind 
is, you know, for argument's sake, Hangman Page. That'd be interesting. Having Hangman lose the first title match, I don't know if that's necessarily the way I would go. Um, we'll see where they go with it, what the story is. Moving forward, to me, I get the idea. I think that it does add an air of legitimacy. You compared it to Loki, I think that, like, even... It's, like, obviously much bigger to have Chris Jericho, right. you know what I mean, than, than Loki, but... At the same time, it's like it's definitely a very similar concept. It's the guy who's like established. He puts a little credibility on the title. It's maybe similar to like the, um, you know, Powerbomb TV slash independent wrestling TV title, where it's like I was talking to someone recently where I was saying, like, I think it was maybe in the Slack, I don't know, but like this current champion with um, Chris Statlander is the first time where it feels like the title is above the champion a little bit. Like the title is like meant to be building them. Right. So I could definitely see the idea that you want to establish your title with people who feel like they're adding credibility to the title rather than the other way around. Um, other than that, like another takeaway away from me is I thought the finish looked terrible. Uh, after they botched the DDT out of the one winged yeah. angel the first time, they went back to it, and that's just bush league shit. Like these guys are both good enough and both smart enough to know, like just move on. I don't know why they went back to it. Jericho could have done like literally anything else to get to the same position and get himself ready to win that match, but no, he doesn't. And uh, I guess there's like there's not much more you can say uh, for that Judas elbow other than like it's just com- completely terrible and it looks re- it looks bad. But you know, Kenny sold it well. I guess like I'm not like I'm not gonna sit yeah. here and lie about that. Like Kenny sold for that shit. So yeah, that's my takeaway from the match. I might I'm gonna go like three and a three and a quarter three and a half on that but yeah i i just i just don't want to see jericho go ahead and do this exact same style with okada because the thing uh, okada isn't nearly as athletic as kenny so when you're trying to do these same sort of things it all like all this hinged on how well kenny was bumping around and moving for it and with okada Okada's nuts. Okada bumps around really hard. Okada will take neck bumps for guys. But Okada isn't the same kind of bumper that Kenny is. And I think that if Okada plays no. it, if Jericho plays it the same way in that Okada match, it, it could go horribly, horribly bad. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, 100%. It's just, unfortunately, yeah, like Kenny is like a, or Okada is like a, a very, like, works the basics really hard kind of guy while kenny is like you know over the top flair so it definitely won't have the same experience but this is you know like you said this is the a moxley episode so then the post match we get moxley coming out um and joining the fray we, i think we've kind of talked about him to death what's happening here i think we both agree like this is the biggest signing that they could get like do you have anything in particular that you want to say about the actual closing segments of events here with Moxie coming um, out? There's going to be an iconic moment in the next few years of wrestling. And if AEW manages to stick around, it's going to be one of the most iconic moments in North American wrestling history. It's, yeah, it's I mean, like, it's, a, it's like true. he comes out and stares down Jericho and hits dirty deeds on him, hits it on the ref. And then, I, I like how they how he comes in and they make it clear that he is not with anybody. He's very much his own thing. I think that's what everybody always wanted him to be. I think everybody always wanted him to be a 
Pillman, Pillman, Austin, Roddy Piper mix of loose cannon and no allegiances. And I think that's exactly what they're going for here right now. And just the image of him coming down the steps and breathing it all in and him uh, laying down, laying uh, on, on the poker chips after throwing Kenny off, off of the stage design. Look great. And if AW pans out, then that's going to be one of the most important moments and angles in North American wrestling history. If AW just folds and the cons decide to pull the plug on this project, then it'll be like it, it might be all for nothing on some level. But if Mox probably doesn't wind up going back to WWE, that is still one hell of a shot that he's here for real and that he was here to stay. And whether it's still him doing Japan or him in Ring of Honor, him in Impact, that's still something that's going to be a trademark of his career. And I don't think there was a better way that you could have ended the show. Yeah, it was a a huge kind of send-off. It was a monumental moment, like we talked about. He's clearly one of the biggest stars of wrestling. I think that people people maybe overlook it. I shouldn't speak for other people, but I think that people definitely probably overlook how big of a star he truly is and how important this really is for him to show up in the way that he did. Because I think even someone like myself who's pretty jaded about everything was questioning if he was going to show up on this show. I think it was a great surprise in the fact that like we really couldn't have predicted it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a hundred percent predicted him showing up. I thought he might, I thought it was probably pretty likely, but I didn't think, it was 100% sure. So, yeah. So, coming out of it, big-time stuff. I guess the only thing, again, this just harkens back to us skipping over the pre-show. Um, but I'll just get a, a, a quick takeaway from you. We can't close out the show with the Woke Bays if we don't talk about uh, probably one of my favorite thirsty follows on Instagram getting announced as signing with the company. Um, Sadie Gibbs. Mm. Got announced on the pre-show as signing with the company. What do you think about that? I knew that uh, like I, after the whole thing with Osprey and uh, right. Matt Jackson uh, coming and telling her that she was awesome on Twitter, I I knew this was coming. But still, that's a great get. And yeah, I guess the problem here is because the AEW roster is mostly so young, and um, a lot of people that have came into wrestling in the last. Uh, years or so i wonder how she's gonna be how she's gonna be able to develop i think that they might have to bring some more uh, veteran presences in to help bring her along but if all things go right with sadie gibbs then she can be a huge huge deal for them like you know when the culture of uh gifts being something that can get a wrestler over monumentally and can change the trajectory of their career joey janela like sadie gibbs sadie (laughs) gibbs can really get something off the ground here and i hope they bring the right people along to help her because that's a really strong investment that i will keep a strong eye on yeah you know who she reminds me of is a young punk Mm. and you know who helped polish Pac to make him into what he is now? Is Shima. Right. So, you know, they've got the connections there. Sadie Gibbs getting connected up with Shima. I think that that could be a training that could really help um, kind of polish her up. You know, get her 
some good competition, build up some big matches. But, you know, I just I had to bring that up really quick before we get into Best of the Super Juniors. Quentin, you've been telling me about Best of the... No, I'm kidding. Um, We are out of here for the night. Quentin, did you have anything else you want to talk about before we go? Uh, no. ELP still probably sucks, but he's had a good Best of the Super Juniors tournament. And that's about it. I'll We'll do something on Best of the Super Juniors next week after all this stuff is uh, starting to wind down. Yeah, this was a lot, and I want to see the finals. I want to know what's going on before we yeah, talk th- this about a, it. I've been I've been following tangentially. This, but this yeah. is a busy show. Like realistically, like between like the Moxley podcast and breaking down all in in a thorough way. Like <laughs> rest of the Super Juniors. On top of that, we would have been here uh, for four hours. But we'll do we'll do something yeah. a little bit more uh, comprehensive on uh, Best of the Super Juniors next next time we're here. All right. All right, Quentin. Well, uh, I don't know. Do we do plugs? I don't even know what we do on this podcast. I think we just closed it yeah, last right? play, Yeah, last week I just went ahead and said that Jamila Woods had a really good album. So if I'm going to do that, mm-hmm. then I would say uh, go check out Steve Lacey's new album that came out.